Seinfeld, the bottle deposit parts one and two are over, but we are just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post to recap a podcast about nothing. And now here are the guys who are so rested up they could podcast straight through to Michigan. I'm Rob Sestrino. Here's Kiva Winokur. Kiva, how are you? I feel like you almost forgot my name there for a second. It's been so long. Like, who is this again? Who is this? Norman. Norman Winokur. Um, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, we took a week off for the first time ever. We yes. broke our Cal Ripken-esque streak of like 130 weeks of podcasting about Seinfeld. Yeah. I feel like it was good for us. I, I think it, for the stretch run, you don't know what you have until it's gone. And I feel like now that we missed a week, I was nervous you'd be like, it was kind of nice not having my Wednesdays free. Maybe we maybe we should just like, you know, call it a day. And we had a good run. We got into season seven. But I think for, <laughs> Rob says nothing because he's like, yeah, that's that was probably going to happen. But um, the, I, I think the um, the you know, the stretch run now will be will be a little refreshing for we needed that week off. Yeah. Keith, don't look at it as a week that we took off. Look at it as our bye week. We had to sort of now get ready for the stretch run. Were you looking at like game tape? You were watching film of of previous episodes. Yes, really preparing. Went back. and a future episodes preparing. Like, hmm, what are we tackling in season eight? I want to. I want to really get read up on Martin. You read like Martin Van Buren's biography. To get ready for that episode? <laughs> yes, because it's season eight, number eight. So yeah, lots of stuff to get into here today. This two part episode, bottle deposit. Keith, uh, any highlights from the two weeks since we have last spoke? I mean, not really. Um, you know, I don't follow sports anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm I I you know I don't know. I I stopped eating. I'm on a diet. You stopped eating. <laughs> yeah, I don't like food anymore. Really? Why? What happened here? This seems I, unusual. It tastes good anymore. The Jets aren't good. You know, it's, it's like getting getting cold outside soon. <laughs> I feel like it's it's kind of sad. Yeah. Okay. And, and, you know, like people get into the Christmas spirit, but I don't even celebrate that. So what am I looking forward to? Hanukkah spirit. Yeah, that's terrible. You got to get like 24. I have three kids. That's 24 presents. Yeah. Not that I've ever bought a present. My wife does that. But like that's a, that's a lot, that's a lot of them. pressure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No question. I got to work extra so we could pay for 24 presents. <laughs> and it's also like because it's one a night that, you know, you, you can't just like can't just give socks because, you know, a kid gets socks like what? That's it. I, I'm not getting socks. Give me something good. Yeah. So you get one like you will get one like a plus, you know, here's your bike or here's your, you know, like roller. I don't know what kids like nowadays, but then then the other seven have to be at least decent. Yeah. Can you open with the lousy Hanukkah gift or do you have to like sort of like end with it? Like if, if you start, no, well, day- you definitely don't No, Day one, you don't start with something bad because you want to get them into like the spirit of the of the holiday. Yeah. So I, I feel like my wife has a whole strategy. You start with the with the main one on the first night and then you do like a few clunkers Maybe like a night you're getting together with family, like you let the the grandparents give the big gift and that's like night four. Mm-hmm. And then by like, you know, then night six, you go with the second biggest one. By night eight, they forget like it's a, you know, you're you're done with it. So it, you, you could really just get, at that point, you give them like a puzzle or board game and you're just done. OK. All right. Well, more on that as we get into the Hanukkah season. Yeah, I don't know further. how I got into into that, but the. <laughs> We're, we're like eight weeks away from running. we're eight weeks away but <laughs> look this is a timeless podcast people will be listening to this for many years but anyway the first podcast that we're recording here in november of 2016 a double episode to get into we'll be talking about both parts today keep any news items you want to talk about or you want to jump right into this uh supersized episodes there's so many scenes and so much to get to i think we should jump in but i will say the next time we have a double episode it's going to be the end Wow. You know, the the only double episodes left. I mean, obviously, the finale is a double episode. 
Uh, and then the clip show. I mean, I guess we do that, right? Did we talk about we talked about the clip show mm-hmm. for the you know the highlights of a hundred? So maybe that is that its own week. We, I well, think we have to double up a couple. We've got a lot of time to figure that out. I, I, we may have to like double up some random like mediocre season nine episodes. Okay, well we'll see. I don't think we should do that, but we'll lo- no. lots of lots Look, of Rob, every, everything we double. That's one less week that we you know that we're done. Uh, and then sooner. it's over. And then what do we do with our lives? I don't know. Take a nap on Wednesdays for an hour and a half. <laughs> I guess so. That would actually be very productive. Uh, yeah. But let's get into uh, bottle deposit. And we talk a lot here about cars and mechanics. Jerry is talking about how when you get your car back from the mechanic, they have paper on the floor. And he's trying to say that the mechanics are obsessed with cleanliness, but then they are very dirty. Keith, uh, have you ever thought about this before? Never. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a big car guy, you know that, but uh, yeah, the paper mat, fine. I do like the, you know, like coming back from the mechanic, the car usually has a better smell, but I, I don't really think about things like that. Yeah, uh, I, I guess it holds up, but it just was never funny in the first place. We know that Jerry very obsessed with the cars. I actually watched one of the comedians in cars getting coffee. I watched the one with Obama. Do you ever see that one? Yeah, I, I, I there's a lot of tension. I always feel like that's awkward. Mm-hmm. What? Not Jerry. like tension between not, not not tension between Jerry and Obama, but like I don't know. It's just like being around the president. It would make me very nervous. It makes me nervous for the people around him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like what? you have to be you have to be on your A game, and it's like he doesn't really want to do that. Like he's usually like let's say he'll be plugging healthcare or something, but you know his time is like super valuable, and I, I just feel like it's weird. Yeah, Obama has a go-to joke that he always does in these things when he's being funny. Like, if he ever gets asked a question, like, what was the worst moment that you had? And his go-to is always like, uh, well, I'd have to say right now. Yeah, he has done that a few times. Yeah, that's his go-to. He did that on Comedians of Cars Getting Coffee. But otherwise, it was pretty interesting. Yeah, well, that's not, it's not back, right? I think that's an old episode. Yeah, I think that was the season seven premiere. I'm not sure when exactly it came on. It was season a lot of Christmas seven. stuff going on. So I, I'm assuming it was like about from a uh, film like a year ago. Season seven. They're going to have more seasons of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee than they did of Seinfeld? <laughs> Eventually. I don't know what season they're up to. So, yeah. I mean, looks- at a certain point, he's going to run out of cars, right? <laughs> yeah, there's just going to be every single car that was ever made. Yeah, I don't know. That, that's what it said on YouTube. But again, I, I don't know. But let's not get too far distracted. I mean, that's what we could podcast next after Seinfeld. We could do every single episode of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. It could be you and Chester. You guys could do that. Okay. Is he a Seinfeld completist? Uh <laughs> Yeah, he's watched the B movie 25 times. (laughs) All right. So we end up here with a storyline of George on on a real wild goose chase in this episode. And he is with Mr. Wilhelm and that he is trying to keep up with what Wilhelm is talking about. That Wilhelm is upset that George keeps asking him to repeat himself. And Wilhelm, very upset, says, you have to pay attention, George. And so that he is uh, telling George a series of instructions, but then he walks into the bathroom. Did you think that George was correct in assuming to not follow Wilhelm into the bathroom? Yeah, it's a tough call because if George is going to the bathroom, it's totally normal for them to, you know, them to go together and continue their conversation. But if George doesn't have to go, it's weird. So I think the move for George is to follow Wilhelm into the bathroom and then just like pretend to pee for 10 seconds, mm-hmm. especially once Wilhelm, Wilhelm goes into a stall. He doesn't even have to whip it out, you know, it, 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 like he's or he could just have his back to him or like unzip and unzip for two seconds, you know, and uh, and just wash his hands or like fix his hair. Not that he has much hair for 30 seconds. Yeah, just, just you to know, stay. 
just to stay, just to like continue the conversation. I feel like there's no, there's, it's not weird to go to the bathroom with him. It's not in a single stall uh, bathroom, you know? It seems odd that this hasn't come up before. And there is a lot, like as we go on the last two seasons, there are a lot of like, uh, you know, bathroom dilemmas that we're going to get into. Okay. All right. So we'll come back to this in a moment. We then go to Peterman with Elaine. And it turns out that Peterman is a big fan of all things John F. Kennedy. Keith, I have to feel like this is like the sixth or seventh storyline that we've dealt with through seven seasons of Seinfeld about the Kennedy family. Uh, yeah, the JFK, JFK Jr. have come up an awful lot. Um, you In know, unrelated I, I got, things. Yeah, very unrelated. Never referencing that, you know, Elaine is sometimes obsessed with the Kennedys. And in this episode, like totally indifferent to the idea of the golf clubs. It's like the two most popular things talked about through nine years of Seinfeld are the Kennedys and dry cleaning. Yeah, right. If you just if you were an alien who came down, you thought you would think that those things were like widely, you know, disproportionately uh, important to human beings. <laughs> yeah. All right. And Elaine never mentions like, oh, did you know, I actually uh, dated John F. Kennedy Jr. once. None of these previous Kennedy storylines come up. But Peterman wants Elaine to go to an auction to bid on JFK's presidential golf clubs that he was using on the morning of the Bay of Pigs invasion. My first problem here is, you know, Peterman says $10,000. And other than the bidding war, it seems like that's about what they'd go for. Doesn't that seem even for, you know, the mid 90s, ridiculously cheap for the JFK's golf clubs? I don't know. I didn't really have a good finger on the pulse of, you know, what are his JFK's other sports memorabilia going for? I, maybe I should have researched this before. What's but his tennis ten, racket going for? $10,000 seems like way too little. Too little. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, maybe JFK had uh, multiple sets of golf clubs. I mean, uh, who's to say? All right. Uh, JFK's golf clubs were sold in 1996. Yes. Uh, almost the exact time this episode aired. But probably after it was written, $772,500. Okay. All right. So little did Peterman know he was getting a good deal. An amazing deal. Like a lady even for tw 20 grand. The Bent Golf Clubs were worth 20 grand. Forget about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So uh, miscalculation in the writer's room on that one. All right. So we go back to George uh, and Elaine is uh, told that she can spend $10,000 at the auction. That's how high Peterman will go for these uh, little cheap ass Peterman wants a, a good deal. Maybe the writers were like, we don't want to make Peterman sound too rich because, you know, that's not his character. Right. So we see George in the bathroom and uh, he walks in to see what's going on. Wilhelm was talking the whole time. Uh oh. Yeah, this seems like, you know, th there's always the apocryphal story of like, I put down my phone for a half hour and when I came back. My girlfriend was still talking. Didn't know I wasn't there, mm -hmm. which people have claimed to me to do. But I, I feel like in the history of the world, that's never actually happened. Yeah, because people like to talk also like to know that you're listening and they'll ask for, you know, reassurances every 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Does that happen? Do you have friends that tell you that they let their significant other talk and talk and talk and they just like put the phone down and walked away? I have a friend who you claimed he would do that with his girlfriend a lot. Um, but I mean, I, but like, I'll, you know, if I'm doing that with my wife, like if I'm like actively not listening, she'll ask me to repeat what, what she said. Yeah. I hate that quiz of what did I just say? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then you, you can always, as like a person, you can always remember the last five words they said, but nothing before that, you know, you know, the, the, the end of the last sentence. Yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, if, if you really have like a full test on it, you're not, you're not getting the answer. Yes. And you said it was ridiculous. What was ridiculous? Uh, boy, you know, 
the, the, the whole Store. thing, the whole thing, the whole thing. And I, I agree a hundred percent. Yes. So George here though, I think that he does a bad job that he just agrees with Wilhelm. Oh yes. I will make this project the top priority. Um, I don't know why he doesn't come clean here and say, it wasn't that I wasn't paying attention. I just was, you know, I didn't know that you were still talking to me. I wanted to give you privacy. feels like that he really gets himself into hot water in this spot. Yeah, but Wilhelm said, had just read them out saying like, you never listen when I talk, you have to pay more attention. So, you know, maybe he's nervous he's going to get fired if he does this. I guess so. I guess so. So George goes and talks this through with Jerry. Jerry calls this pulling an LBJ. Uh, Had Jerry seen the Lyndon Johnson movie? Had he? Yeah, starring sure. Tim Watley. Uh, well, if Tim, Tim Watley was in it, I'm sure he made his way to the theater. But is this a true story that LBJ used to uh, conduct his business on the toilet? I have no idea. I feel like that if the Seinfeld writers are putting it in there, and again, that we have touched on even in this episode, their obsession with the history of the presidency, even uh, with uh, the comedians in cars getting coffee, then I have to feel like that there has to be some smoke, right? Yeah. I mean, if knowledgenuts.com is to be believed, uh, Lyndon Johnson held meetings on the toilet. Uh, He would... uh, he, you know, he would not be afraid to conduct the meeting no matter what he was doing in the bathroom. Uh, it said he likes to pee in the sink. Oh, OK. OK. All right. There you go. I mean, he's the so, president. He can do whatever he wants. What, what's going to happen? That's an executive order. I mean, could you? I, it's such a Seinfeld thing, though. That you're like stuck in the bathroom with the president. Yes. And you yes. can't get out of there. Um, and again, I think that uh, lots of uh, different bathroom topics I think we can get into with uh, the LPJ. But we will abstain here in this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So (laughs) anyway, uh, that we have now that uh, no shrinkage for LBJ. So that uh, George doesn't know what to do. He's uh, troubled. And Jerry says, ask a follow up question. Yeah, I think the key would be is if George had sometimes he has a coworker he can lean on. If he had a coworker, he could say like, hey, can you sort of ask uh, you know, Wilhelm, what I'm up to without giving away too much that, you know, I don't know what I'm doing and the report back to me. That would be helpful. Yeah. Too bad he doesn't have a secretary anymore. Yeah. Had he not slept with the secretary, maybe she would be able to help him out. That would have been fine. All right. So here comes uh, Kramer and Newman. And uh, Newman is carrying like a six pack of soda bottles and he throws a bottle away. And Kramer gets on him about recycling and says, uh, hey, Newman, you got to recycle that. And Newman seems to have no knowledge of how recycling works. He says he's not going to pay five cents to recycle. Yeah, this seems impossible. Mm-hmm. Right. That someone would not only not know recycling, which fine, maybe he doesn't recycle, that he thinks that like everyone's walking around paying five cents to throw a bottle in a special garbage can. Mm-hmm. That's right. And they ask him like, well, what do you think those bums are doing? And he said, I don't know. They're deranged. He's not thinking about it. Yeah, I, I, you know, don't ask, don't tell. But it, to me, uh, the, you know, I, I do like the idea of like Newman because sometimes he's an evil genius. Mm-hmm. But I like the idea. At the end of the day, he's like a simple mailman. Yeah. And so Kramer is telling him about this. And then Newman is looking at the bottle and saying, hey, what does this mean about uh, MI uh, 10 cents? What do you mean? You get more money in Michigan? And it turns out that Kramer has already been working on this heist for years. He just never was ever able to make it make sense, Akiva. 
Never has more time been spent trying to make less money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, what would be potentially the most money that you could make? I mean, how many cans could they have possibly had? Well, they said they were going to split a thousand dollars in the song. OK, so right. that's 500 bucks a piece. That's a lot. of That's like days of driving for five hundred dollars profit. Yeah, that is really uh, not a lot of margin there in terms of I mean, I know that they're just sort of like, no, we can't stop for food. But we've talked about Kramer being independently wealthy. Uh, This episode seems to fly in the face of that. Unless this is more of a, you know, you don't, you know, someone would say, hey, like, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you eat, you know, 40 hamburgers and you try and eat the hamburgers, not for the hundred bucks, just like for the story or for the good time. The action here is like, this is a fun caper, even if it's for no money. Yeah, it's like it's like a crazy thing to do. It's a good story to tell Bob Sacamano at the bar. Now, Jerry is off to go meet Elaine at the JFK auction, leaves Kramer and Newman in his apartment. I know we've seen that before in terms of like the risk game, but Jerry seems to have no sort of issues with just leaving these two lunatics in his way. First, he gave them his car earlier in the episode. They had to go to price club more on that to come. They come back and now they just are living in Jerry's apartment and he's just leaving. Yeah. It seems like he would not be okay with it, but you know, we have seen them in the apartment before without him. Uh, I, I think he's just given up the fight. It's at the end of season seven. He realizes the battle has been lost. Kramer has free free reign of this apartment. Okay, so Jerry and Elaine are at the charity Kennedy auction. Jerry is saying, hey, did my car make a noise? Elaine doesn't seem to notice anything. And lo and behold, Sue Ellen Mishki is back. Appearance number two for SEM. Uh, yeah, I, the, the relationship between Sue Ellen Mishki and Elaine, although not really played out here other than like for the, fo- you know, for her to be the foil for Elaine to spend more money. It's like we're going to see Sue Ellen Mishki invite Elaine to her overseas wedding and they're going to go mm-hmm. like there is legitimate hatred between these people and she's getting a wedding invite. Yeah. Well, I think me believe that Sue Ellen Mishki does not have any friends. Well, that I mean, just going ahead to that episode, Elaine thought that it was a fake invite that she was only going to the wedding to spite her in that spot. And because she thought that Suellen Mishki just wanted a gift. But if Suellen Mishki is so wealthy, yeah. why would she be trying to nickel and diming wedding gifts from people? Yeah, uh, it's, so it's a good question. But, I, you know, to even make the cut, I, you know, Suellen Mishki, maybe not doing great socially. Yeah. And so that Sue Ellen Mishki, how did that last work out with her? We last saw her in the courtroom where uh, that she tried the bra on. It did not fit. And there were no repercussions from any of that. It was just like the case was dismissed at that point in mistrial. I believe, yeah, we don't see it. But I think like off screen, you could imply that the case is dismissed. Yeah. OK. All right. So she's uh, exceptionally rude uh, to Elaine, accuses her of just coming to this auction to get a glimpse of high society. Is this one of these auctions where you have to have like an invite only or you need to like show your net worth just to get in? Perhaps. I mean, maybe you have to make some sort of a reservation. I mean, Jerry's allowed to just come as Elaine's guest. Yeah, but maybe it's like Peterman called ahead and he has cachet like they're coming as his guests and that's OK. 
Okay. So Elaine it tells Suella Mishki that she is here to bid, not just to catch a glimpse. Jerry says that he's there just to uh, catch a glimpse. Um, interesting. Uh, Suella Mishki uh, here in a very traditional wardrobe. I mean, her whole thing last time was that she was the braless wonder. Here she's in uh, some sort of a top with a blazer. Nothing really out of the ordinary with Suella Mishki's attire here today. Yeah, very conservatively dressed, which doesn't make sense because they're furthering the point that like, oh, you know, like, oh, we're just they, they keep making innuendo towards her, but she's so covered that it barely makes sense. Yeah. All right. So back in Jerry's apartment, Kramer and Newman are watching TV and still trying to figure out this Michigan caper. Uh, Newman says, why don't we get an 18 wheeler? Kramer says it's no good. Too much overhead. And Newman is obsessed. He wants to figure out exactly how to pull this off. Yeah, there may be one too many scenes of them just trying to figure out how it works here. Mm -hmm. All right. So back to the auction. Elaine really has a very curious strategy here at this auction. Keith, I know that you have participated in many fantasy sports auction. Uh, would you say that the ideal strategy, if you have one particular item that you need to get, should you tell your arch enemy right before the bidding begins, hey, look at that. I might bid on this one. No, you, you know, you got to go the other way. You have to say like, you know, either you say like, yeah, I'm only, uh, you know, my boss authorized me to like only buy JFK's underwear, you, you know, or or like I'm just here looking or, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm not like obviously this, the worst strategy is like for your one antagonist to know exactly what you want to do. Yeah, it's so absurd that this is what Elaine does here to tell Suella Mishki that, hey, those are those golf clubs that I'm going to be bidding on. Yeah, but, you know, but Elaine is she's never been in like a fantasy football draft before. This is uncharted territory for her, you know, so you have to give her like the rookie sort of uh, benefit of the doubt where maybe by next season she'll know what's going on. I, you know, first season, she's, you know, leaving sixty two dollars of auction money on the table. That, you know, it doesn't get spent because she doesn't know what's going on, but she'll come back strong in season two. OK, so she'll be back. And so the bidding goes four thousand, five thousand. Elaine uh, gets in, I think, finally at sixty five hundred. But then here comes Sue Ellen Mishke. She's in at eight. We go back and forth. Nine over nine, ninety five or ten uh, to ten thousand dollars to Sue Ellen Mishke. Um, we see Elaine bid 11,000, eventually 15,000, and we cut to the car. It seems like there, there was some mystery over whether how much Elaine actually bid. We find out later in the episode she bid $20,000 for these JFK golf clubs. Still an amazing bargain. Yeah, at this point, Jerry just says, I really thought you had her at 17, but you're right. It gets We know that it gets to 20 later in the episode. Yes. Okay. Elaine says, Peterman is going to kill me. Why? You got $700,000 golf clubs for 20 grand. Yeah, no, steal of a lifetime. But I, I mean, it would be funny if Peterman's like, all right, that's coming out of your paycheck. Mm -hmm. So there is a loud clanking noise coming from Jerry's car. And they uh, investigate it at the point where we drop Elaine off. She's going to leave the clubs in the car. Jerry opens up the hood of his car and sees a bunch of food items, including crab legs. Um, Did Jameis Winston borrow Jerry's car? Oh, well, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. I think they paid for the crab legs. So I'm oh, not okay. sure that came. Yeah. Came from Jameis. Mm -hmm. So was that Publix. 
Publix, yeah. So we have now from the Price Club that they got so much stuff in Jerry's car that they had to put some of the stuff under the hood. And then ultimately, uh, that's where this problem came from. They really are so dumb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, they're putting food under the hood. Newman doesn't know. Like, if all you know from Newman is this episode, like, he's an absolute buffoon. Yeah. And Jerry's reaction to this is like, he says, idiots. And so he goes back to his house. I mean, I would have murdered somebody at this point. And he's like coming in and they're still trying to figure out the bottle stuff. And he's like, hey, you guys put groceries under the hood of my car. And like, oh, yeah, we think he's not angry enough. Not angry enough. Yeah, I would have knocked these two guys heads together. I think he knows that he's like made this bed by hanging out with these buffoons and uh, I, he's like almost given up, at, you know, at, at uh, it's like if you have a kid and they get in trouble in school once or twice, you try and deal with them. But once they're like, you know, suspended every week at a certain point, it's like, all right, you know, I, you're my kid. There's nothing I can do. You're a loser. I'm stuck with you. Yeah. But haven't we seen Jerry get much more mad over much less? Of course. But like, is he just you know, does he not have the ability anymore to be like, there's nothing Kramer could do that would shock him. Mm-hmm. I guess so. So he's just given up. I think that's probably the uh, clearest answer that we have on any of this. Also, Kramer's like, you know, Jerry knows that Kramer's so sensitive after the whole keys incident, the end of season three, beginning of season four. Like you have to tread lightly around Kramer or else he'll, you know, run away again. I guess so. So Jerry says we need to take the car to Tony The problem with Tony is that he is so obsessive about the car. He makes you feel guilty for every little thing that's wrong with it. Now, Keeve, refresh my memory. Where did we leave off with Putty? Putty was the only honest mechanic in the city. If you took the car to Putty, you knew Putty wasn't going to steer you wrong. Obviously, we had the whole move stealing, but I felt like that by the end of that episode, the was it the move? Was that that what it's called? Or I'm making that up? Yeah. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. OK, so I thought we were like, hey, what, you know, an honest mechanic is worth, you know, he could have every move. And I thought Jerry was back on good terms with Putty. No, I mean, I guess, I, you know, maybe it's it's more for Elaine. Like he does, you know, it, it's awkward for, you know, in his mind, like if he's still hanging out with Putty when Elaine is broken up with him, because, you know, we don't see Putty again. Even next season, he's not back. He doesn't come back till season nine. I don't know. I mean, they went to hockey games with him. I mean, it was, did something happen after going to go see the devil game? I think once he's broken up with Elaine, what are you going to do? I mean, you can't go ahead and use him as a mechanic, even if, I mean, your friend who you dated ended up with, you know, that it didn't work out. You can't even go to that mechanic anymore. Maybe he's not good. Maybe they're only using putty when socially they need to, but... You know, when when there's no relationship in the picture, this guy is this guy's clearly a very good, serious mechanic is does Putty know his stuff like this guy? Does he care as much? No way. I guess not. Um, Putty is honest. This guy is uh, maybe expensive, but I guess he's going to really get in there. I guess that Putty is not going to rip you off, but this guy is going to be much more of a specialist. Uh, yeah, this right. If you if, right. If you want a cheap job, you go to Putty. If you want someone to really take good care of your car. You go to the, you go to uh, Brad Garrett. Right. So Putty's not going to rip you off. This guy, you're going to pay an arm and a leg, but he's going to really he's like the soup Nazi of, you know, auto mechanics. Yeah, he's an artist. Yes. 
Okay. And the tortured artist is always a recurring theme that we have on Seinfeld. Uh, yes. There are a lot of tortured artists and uh, they always end up being completely insane. <laughs> yes. All right. So we get to Jerry and here's Brad Garrett uh, prior to uh, the role that would probably define his career on Everybody Loves Raymond, probably about what, like five years away from that? Um, yeah, this is this is not famous Brad Garrett yet. Are you anti Raymond? I have. I mean, I wasn't a Raymond like super fan. I've yeah. seen a few episodes. I'm sure I laughed. Uh, I'm not anti Raymond. Okay, because you tend are you anti Raymond? No, I'm very pro Raymond. Um, mm-hmm. I that I feel like you tend to be anti the multicam uh, sitcom besides the one that we talk about. Yeah, I am. I, I can be snobby with some of these things, but Raymond was totally fine. You know, I feel like everyone's grandma loved. Everybody loves Raymond. Mm-hmm. Grandma's yeah. loved Raymond. Yeah. What does Brad Garrett do now? Is he on a show? I think he's on a show. I can't tell you what it is, but I wouldn't be surprised. I know he's had like different uh, shows like at Fox and stuff like that. What is Brad Garrett doing? He might just be doing uh, stand up. I'm not sure if he's on an active show right he plays, now. He plays a lot of poker. He's always at the World Series of Poker. Oh, good for Brad Garrett. Um, yeah. So Brad Garrett's uh, career seems like that he is uh, not currently uh, working on a show. All right, listen, he's got a lot of Raymond money. He, he could he's set for life. He doesn't have to work. Yeah, he's great. So Brad Garrett is here. He is Tony, the obsessive mechanic here in this spot. And uh, he loves this sob. Yeah, I mean, I, you don't hear much about sob anymore, do you? No, I don't think so. Are they even still in business? I'm not sure, but I, I, I feel like uh, sob story. Jerry Seinfeld car. Yes. Like, it wasn't he didn't he wasn't he like a spokesman for Saab at one point? Uh, I am not sure. I mean, I know that Acura is a sponsor of comedians in cars getting coffee now in season eight, Keeve. Yeah, I think Saab still exist. Yeah, um, I don't think that they are a big deal. No, was a, Wikipedia says was forget it. It's done in 2010. GM sold Saab to the Dutch automaker Spikes. Yeah, uh, Spike cars. Spike Firestone. Uh some other company in Sweden bought Saab's estate. Yeah, I, I think they're working on it, but it's I, right now it's like electric cars. But yeah, there are no Saab's right now. OK, so Brad Garrett is he got the last one. Uh, yeah, I mean, we don't you know, we don't know what happened to this car, but yeah. <laughs> All right. So that he's on Jerry's case. He said, hey, the shift knob is loose. You haven't noticed that. I mean, what are they going for? Is there a metaphor here? Is this almost like that Jerry has been negligent with? So because there's a lot, of, I think, mixed metaphors where later on we get to like a crime scene where the car is like treated like a murder victim. But what are they trying to go for here? Is this sort of like where that is it, it like a love triangle where Jerry has like neglected his wife and Brad Garrett? has fallen in love with her or is this just everything is as it seems yeah i was wondering the same thing i think it's metaphor for metaphor's sake like they don't it doesn't totally make sense it's not like it's not a complete like allegory towards like one particular thing i guess it's like a relationship and jerry's a neglectful husband towards the car Mm -hmm. but it's not super it's not super clear okay so we go back to elaine and mr peterman she tells peterman that they spent twenty thousand dollars on the club on the clubs and then uh, Peterman's like where are they well okay they're still in Jerry's car so we need to get track down the clubs and get them to Peterman so back at Yankee Stadium George has a question for Mr. Wilhelm about where how would you get started on this thing where where would you go to get the ball rolling Keeve uh yeah where would one go to uh, do this project I have no idea what's going on here payroll you go to payroll Yes, yes. 
Do we have any inkling into what Mr. Wilhelm wanted George to do or was just the whole thing so cockamamie and made no sense to start? The problem is that Wilhelm, you know, you think like, ooh, I'm curious, like if we're going to find out what it is. And then because you realize that Wilhelm might be senile, there might not be a real thing. It might be completely, you know, nonsense. But yet he tells the guy in payroll something that makes the guy in payroll later on the episode like, oh, okay, I understand. I mean, did he just be like, uh, you don't get in Costanza's way or I'll have your ass. Let give you give him whatever he wants. He might not be being specific. And even if he was, it might not be like a real thing that needs to be done. But payroll guy wouldn't know that. Okay. All right. So that he was told to go to payroll. So George goes to payroll and he's working on the big project under the orders of Mr. Wilhelm. And so that he tells the guy who is trying to stonewall him, hey, why don't you just call Mr. Wilhelm, call my supervisor and ask? He's like, "Okay, I think I will. And he calls Mr. Wilhelm and George says, yes, why don't you call him and then tell me what he tells you? And he calls Mr. Wilhelm and then very sheepishly, he's like, I'm sorry, I doubted you. Go ahead. And George really tries to get him to tell him what's going on. He's like, all right, you already made me feel stupid. God, you don't have to humiliate me. Yeah, you know, there's no, uh, first of all, there's nothing worse than, like, losing the power play. Like, I'm going to call your boss, and then the boss is like, yeah, yeah, you you suck, go away. Mm-hmm. That's right, yeah. And so, very humiliating for this guy. So, George is really getting nowhere closer to this. Newman, we see him crunching the numbers. He's got, like, some sort of, what would you call that? Some sort of uh, adding machine? No, what the, what were those things called back in the day? I don't know. It's is, like, is that what they're called? There had to be a name for them. I'm not sure what it is. I'm sure it does have a fancy name, but he's got like a very old fashioned calculator and he's just like uh, crunching the numbers and drinking all of this soda. What was the name of the soda? It was like some made up soda. Is it made up? I I thought it was like some sort of like off brand fake Mountain Dew that they made up. No, it's Mellow Yellow. Mellow Yellow is real. I believe Mellow Yellow is real. Yeah, I would never. I I also think people are very mad at us for not knowing Mellow Yellow is real. Why? How did they know they didn't even listen to the podcast yet? Well, what do you mean? You feel like the people are going to be mad if we don't know. Mellow well, they Yellow can't be mad real? now. They haven't heard oh, I it. You I said, mean, I, you, I thought you said that people you felt like people are already mad at us. How could I? We, yeah, people are already mad. They haven't I, heard well, it. Well, we get emails before <laughs> the show. People are already mad that we're not going to know Mellow Yellow. Yes. Um, okay. Mellow Yellow is a highly caffeinated citrus flavored soft drink produced and distributed by the Coca-Cola company, which was introduced to compete with PepsiCo's Mountain Dew. How'd that work okay. out for you? Considering that we didn't know it was a real drink. <laughs> yes, it's the off-brand Mountain Dew. And it was withdrawn from Australia in the early 1990s. I don't even know if it's kosher. I've, I've never like I've never had it. I've never encountered it. I suspect it. Mellow Yellow, Keeve, may not be kosher. Yeah, but Mountain Dew's kosher. Yes. Well, this is Mellow Yellow. I think they got rid of the W's. They did. It's, it's O's. It's M-E-L-L-O and then yellow without the... I feel like they used to have a commercial, no? Like Mellow Yellow. I'm making that up. I, I mean, there's a song Mellow Yellow, and they used to be in the Gap commercial that they were singing that song. Yeah, what do you think the song's based off? It's based off the drink. The song is about the drink? I think so. Is the Mellow I mean, this is like uh, war. What is it good for at this point? Yeah, I think Mellow Yellow is kosher. I'm okay. going to go get a Mellow. We should have Mellow Yellows. Yeah. For the finale, where that's just all we're going to drink, Mellow Yellows. Yes. Uh, Keeve is uh, pulling your chain, everybody, or uh, that the song came out in 1966 and the drink was not invented until 1979. So the song came first. Okay. Who knew? Okay, Keeve. 
Don't try to right, put you, that false <laughs> propaganda out there. I apologize to the listeners. I'm sorry. All right. So then we end up with Newman looking at the picture of his mom. It's like, oh, Mother's Day. OK. And then so he sort of cracks the whole case. He runs over to Kramer's door and says that there are so many mail trucks for Mother's Day. That's the biggest postal day of the year. And so we'll be able to get a free truck. We just have to bring a couple of bags of mail and we will be able to take all these soda cans. Now, where was Newman supposed to bring this truck to this place in uh, like this random place in Michigan where the extra mail goes? I mean, this seems pretty absurd that here's Newman, who's like a, you know, regular mail delivery person. He has a route and then sometimes they have him drive a truck to Michigan. I think Newman volunteered to drive the truck to Michigan. And he was been trying to crunch these numbers about how do I get a truck full of cans to Michigan? And all of a sudden he just remembered like, oh, yeah, on Friday, I'm driving a truck to Michigan. I I think he realized like, oh, it's an option for me because, you know, uh, Mother's Day is coming up and they need all the help they can get to get to Michigan. It is a pretty big coincidence, but it's not like he needs to be at one specific place in Michigan. Mm -hmm. You know, he he could you could go anywhere where there's a supermarket, which ostensibly is anywhere uh, except for like Oobly. And then you could just go there and, uh, you know, deposit the bottles there. But, Keith, if you had a job where that you were driving a truck across the country to one specific location, and then you were also, on the other hand, trying to figure out a scheme to get a bunch of cans in a truck to that same state, you, the, the, you wouldn't arrive at this idea sooner? I mean, Newman didn't even know recycling existed until <laughs> three scenes ago. Yeah, he's not so the smartest guy the in the world. Yeah. Of how dumb is Newman in this episode? Yeah, he's especially dumb here. But do they pull mail delivery people off the street and send them cross country to drive the mail truck? It seems like it's a total free for all at the USPS, right? <laughs> yes. Based on Seinfeld. Absolutely. Yes. The union is so strong that the employees can do whatever they want. Yes. At any time. Yes. They just have uh, people doing whatever they feel like. Newman I mean, Newman just said in. like an episode or two, uh, an episode or two ago that he doesn't work when it rains, which yeah. could be 100 days a year for all you know. It's a free for all. It's a miracle. They're still in business. Uh, yeah. Well, they're barely in business. I think, barely. Anyway. Barely. Okay. They're just starting to recover from all the damage that Newman caused. So we end up with George. He goes to Wilhelm. He says, well, payroll paid off. And then Wilhelm tells me, are oh, you going to be heading downtown then? And yes, you have to go downtown, just like the song says. Such an interesting like use for I like anytime they break format, even the tiniest bit. Yes. You know, they, they're like they they sort of put this song in. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the in the background of like this scene and then sort of the next scene or two. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a, it's such a like a TV song. Like if someone was just listening to this song for fun, you'd call like the mental hospital that George goes to at the end. Yeah. But if you put this song in like into a sitcom or into like uh, right, this song was, I believe it opened one of the seasons of Lost, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, I, th- I you know what? I, I want to say that might be a different song. Um, no, that's, are you thinking of are you thinking of uh, like some kind of music like that make season your own two. kind of music? Yeah, that uh, season two, I think, but I'm not sure. Doesn't season three open with like Juliet and the plane crashing and spoiler alert for people who are still watching Lost the and isn't this song that, like that version of that for season three? Uh, yes, it seems like that's the case. I'm looking on I see on YouTube. Town, yes. Also, Keeve, are you familiar with the film Short Circuit 2? 
No, but I, I assume there's a short circuit one that I've also never heard of. Uh, you never you never heard of short circuit one? No. What is I, it? I, I mean, I know you haven't seen a lot of movies, but you haven't heard no. of this. Uh, it's the uh, Steve Gutenberg uh, is works for some sort of like JPL type laboratory, which has invented uh, robots that are sort of uh, and one of them uh, realizes that he is alive. It's, it's like the Westworld of uh, the 1980s. And he comes to life and he realizes that he's alive. Johnny number five is alive. Oh, boy, You're, I, you lost me in four different ways here. But yeah. Yes. Uh, well, in Short Circuit 2, uh, Fisher Stevens, who is also a uh, lost alumni. Um, and, you know, it's a um, performance where, you know, and he's in a heavy brown face uh, for this role. So maybe that's why it's not talked about as much, but that he has to figure out the uh, like the Like, I think he is trapped in some sort of a meat locker and has only a touchstone keypad and he has to play songs for his girlfriend to find where they are. And one of the songs that he plays on the touchstone keypad is uh, downtown. That's how that she was able to find him. Uh truly amazing yes yes i can't believe you haven't even uh heard of short circuit and johnny number you, five right, short circuit sounds like a movie that jerry and kramer are gonna see at 11 o'clock but they get sold out of yes it's not even a real movie it's a real movie yeah johnny number five is, uh, is alive and also it's the 80s like uh you know i i don't i've never seen any movies from the 80s you haven't seen any movie from the 80s like That's four impossible. movies from the whole decade i'm surprised that this didn't crack the top 100 that you and chester did I'm going to see if any if it made anyone's top. I'm going to search it on. Uh, <laughs> I, I would be very surprised if Short Circuit isn't anybody's top 100 movies of all time. No, I've never. I, there's no nothing comes up for Short Circuit. Yeah, I believe Steve Gutenberg, Ali Sheedy, I believe is the love interest. Ali Sheedy. See, that's like very 80s. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's a hundred percent. If I can verify. Uh, yeah, Ali Sheedy. I, Ali Sheedy is its first billing. I see. Right <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a little bit like E.T. with a robot. Mm. Yeah. You seen E.T.? Uh, I've seen E.T. Yeah. A little spooky for me. A little spooky? No, I was really scared of it when I was little. Now I think I'd be okay. <laughs> okay. When I was a kid, I was very scared of E.T. I thought he was in my closet. All right. Well, anyway, we have this scene here, and this is interesting to me, where in the inside look, did you watch the inside look for this episode? Uh, no, I was going to tell you that beforehand. Okay. So they talked about this episode, which is unusual in that they had this story and they felt like it was like a it was basically like the, it was a tweener. It was sort of like it ran 18 minutes long at the table read. And they were like, do we want to cut stuff out or do we want to add stuff to this to make it fatter and make it a, uh, you know, a one hour episode? And so they ultimately said, no, we have too much gold here, Keeve. We can't cut anything. Let's add to it. And I have to wonder if this whole thing about going downtown might be one of the things that was added. Yeah. Now, if we're talking about that going forward for the next 30 scenes, we could sort of like, hey, what got added? I think that's definitely like them, not just the idea of downtown, but them like spending two minutes on the lyrics of the song. This isn't a this is two weeks of episodes, right? This was not done in one hour. This Mm -hmm. is right back to back weeks. And so they actually spend a lot of time. There's like a two minute previously on. Because they, they're sort of short of, it's too much for a 22-minute episode, but it's not enough for, you know, two 44-minute episodes. So there's really only 40 minutes of content here when you take out the, the, the previously on. I, I think when, when The Office started doing like the sort of 
the the bonus episode or whatever they'd call it that was like 38 minutes or 40 minutes yes back then they weren't they weren't willing to break format but like the idea that seinfeld couldn't say hey suddenly susan give us five minutes you know we want to be 35 minutes and then it'll bleed in it'll actually be better for you because people can't switch the channel at 9 35 the only thing that's going to be on that's starting is suddenly susan if they switch to like whatever the heck is on CBS, they're going to already be five or 35 minutes in. So it's actually a good idea, but they were so traditional back then they couldn't do it. But there's that Seinfeld. We've already run it. Like there should be episodes that are 40 minutes that got cut to 32. And there's 22 episode minutes, 22 minute episodes that should be like 28 or 30. Yeah. So this is a scene where, uh, I mean, it's fun. Jerry and George just basically like do the entire song of the uh, Petula Clark downtown to try to look for clues about what Mr. Wilhelm might want them to be doing. And it is funny. Yeah, no, for sure. No, I, I don't think it's bad. It's just it, it feels like it could be filler. It's definitely out of, uh, you know, the, the, the norm of the of like what's going on in the show. Yeah. OK, so. Then they're talking about the meaning of the song. What what does it mean? And uh, it looks like, you know, it was probably an expensive scene since they had to license the song as well. Yeah, that costs a lot of money for a famous song. It really does. And so uh, they both really seem to know the words where I feel like if this was 2016, somebody would at least have their iPhone open on some sort of a lyric music site. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what Google is. But like the I'm saying like, the, the you know, that. The uh, the easiest thing on earth now to find is music lyrics, right? You have four hundred different sites that all have the same uh, thing. I don't know how anybody knew any lyric before then, unless you had the album and like you had the album notes in there with the lyrics. Yeah, well, that was a big thing. They used to put them on the like uh, inside the CD jacket, inside or on the on the record. And that's how you needed them. No internet, no Google oh, yet. Man. Yeah, um, I skipped over where uh, there was a montage of Kramer and Newman uh, finding all the cans. Anything from that montage that you wanted to touch on? No, but it's pretty funny. Yeah, um, you know, a little bit of a jaunty tune uh, during that. I mean, they do like rob basically a homeless guy. They do of of his of his livelihood. Yes. Uh, by dropping like a nickel on the floor so he could pick it up and then running away with his cart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are these are the good guys in this episode. <laughs> right. And there's a lot of work that gets done to get like one can at points. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, right. It could be hours of waiting for someone to put their soda on a on a mailbox just so you could steal it. Yes. Uh, the, these are the laziest people on Earth who are working so hard just to make a few hundred bucks, but are so motivated to like do the things to make the 500 bucks. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. All right. So Jerry comes home. He plays a message. It's the mechanic. He says they have to talk. Uh, Elaine comes in. uh, She needs to go or she calls up and she needs to come and pick up the clubs. And Jerry says that he left them at the mechanic and she says, "Okay, I'll just go there. He says, no, you can't disturb him while he's working. Now, was this a thing? Did he ever mention that? No, I'm not. I'm not like I'm, you know, I don't know what that is. We didn't really touch on it yet, but like Elaine gets dropped off at her house and it's not clear why she doesn't take the clubs. And I feel like she should have been like, I kind of hurt my back. I'll get the clubs tomorrow. Like she gives no reason why she would not take the clubs out that she should really just be bringing to Peterman the next morning. It makes no sense. Right. Right. Because she's on Jerry's case. But what you left the clubs in the car? It's like, yeah, so did you. We were yeah, you at your house and you left them in my car. 
<laughs> and now I'm the a-hole here. I didn't bring them up to my apartment. Yeah, it makes no sense. Yes. All right. Well, then don't go there. Well, I'll meet you there. And then we can both disturb him together. I mean, he's disturbed one way or the other. And uh, I mean that in every sense of the word. It is like this has to have happened 10 times where mechanic Tony has just stolen a car. Like there's no way he's just falling in love with this car for the first time now. Yeah. What is so special about this sob? And it's not like Jerry's car is in that bad of shape. I mean, yes, some unusual things have happened to it, but Jerry didn't even do those things. But like if Jerry had like some sort of like limited edition 1966 Lamborghini, like something that he shows up driving to the White House on comedians and cars getting coffee, you could understand. But it seems like, oh, a 1992 black Saab that's not even yeah. a turbo. Yeah, uh, this is just, you know, the final straw. For Tony the mechanic. He's just snapping here. He's just snapping. Okay. All right. So Jerry gets there and he wants to know, hey, Tony, uh, what's going on? And uh, Tony is upset. He thinks that Jerry has been going to one of these quickie lube places. I didn't know they had quickie lube places. Yeah. I mean, you get like the oil change in like uh, your lunch break. You know, you didn't know that that existed like a Jiffy Lube. Oh, yeah. Jiffy Lube. I guess I didn't know it existed. Yeah. Um, It's good. You don't have to get out of the car. How long does it take? I don't know, like uh, they get you out of there like 15, 20 minutes. And what does it cost? Uh, It depends uh, where you go. They try to like upsell you to get like the fancy oil and stuff like that. I mean, you have a coupon. I feel like that you could probably get out of there in like 30-ish dollars. It's a pretty good deal. It's a pretty good deal. You go to Jiffy Loop. Yeah, why not? All right. So he wants to take the whole thing apart. He wants an oil change every thousand miles. And he's asking Jerry questions. He's getting mad because Jerry barely knows the car. Jerry's had enough. He says, hey, look, you're going to have to give me my car back. Um, yeah, I, I mean, at this point, it's it's a relationship. Maybe the allegory is the relationship between uh, Jerry and Tony needs to end. I think so. So he says, all right, uh, get the car down. I want to take it back. And then we see Jerry standing by as Tony just peels out. He runs for it. Yeah, I like the like the movie style, like uh, they don't really show it, but like the driving off the the, you know, the car on the top of the whatever it's called. (laughs) That would have been good. Yeah. So Elaine is here now and they're talking about it, how the police are now being called on the case of Tony, the crazy auto mechanic. Yeah. And this is where part one ends and and the next week's episode begins. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Elaine uh, can't believe it. Jerry can't believe it that who would have thought you could pull off a Mary Beth Whitehead. Keith, I know that you are a fan of famous uh, criminal cases. Could you speak to the Mary Beth Whitehead case? Yeah. This lady named Mary Beth had like a lot of pimples and they, I don't know. No, yeah. I have no idea. It's not, it's, I guess it's not so famous. Okay. I've because never heard you, of it. Because you don't know about it. That seems like that you are really uh, just um, looking at the world through the uh, Keeve colored glasses. <laughs> well, I've never heard of it. So it's, it could be famous, but it can't be like that famous. Okay. Uh, apparently uh, this was uh, the baby M, I guess. Uh, this was some sort of surrogacy uh, case where I guess a woman was a surrogate mother and then she ran off with the baby. Yeah, that's what okay. it looks like. OK, so that's what's that's what's going on. Not quite the same. No, this isn't like a true crime story that I should know about. Come on. Yeah, but not quite the same as with the car either. No, it's not a it's not a direct example. And there's no reason I would know this. <laughs> OK, it's like the type of thing that you might know in 95, but you don't know in 2005, let alone, you know, 
2016. Yeah. Okay. So Elaine is uh, with Peterman. And again, Elaine is telling Peterman that a psychotic mechanic absconded with the car. And uh, Peterman is upset about this. Again, I think that some of these like beats in the story. Uh, OK. Oh, now we need to see Peterman find out the golf clubs are missing. Now we need to see Peterman find out Elaine. Yeah, you're right. We wouldn't. You're right. We would not see that in a normal episode. That would be the first thing that they would. They wouldn't even film that. Yeah, they so wouldn't have. there's a lot of just like boom, 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 boom. Like every part of the plot is seen here. Well, maybe they cut it off at the wrong time. Like maybe we could have spent a few more minutes with the farmer and the farmer's daughter. Maybe there's some gold to be mined there or something. Yeah. So we see Jerry now with the detective and now like shades of uh, detective bookman. And we have a guy who seems to be working the beat of when mechanics steal cars from people. Very specific beat, but this guy is the best. Yes. I like when Jerry is describing the person and says, uh, you know, he's like wearing like a mechanic's pants and a shirt that says Tony. And so Jerry asks him, have you ever had cases like this before? And uh, he says, yes, the mechanic falls in love with the car. And uh, I got to warn you, these cases never end up well. So this is a Mary Beth Whitehead situation. Yes. Yes. Um, I would think that these cases probably and I mean that a mechanic who falls in love with the car, uh, it seems odd to me that it would be like some sort of a Dexter type ending for the car. Right. Yeah. Unless the mechanic is never seen from again. It's hard to it's you know hard to hide a car forever. And you'd have to, like, hide yourself. You came back. They they know you stole the car. They saw you steal it. Uh, and it's not like a baby that's buried somewhere. Like, you know, you could probably give up the car to, you know, get some jail time off or something. It doesn't make sense. Right. Somebody who's like a car buff isn't like going to get a car and then just take it apart and destroy it for parts. No, probably not. Yeah. You think that somebody who just st- stole your car for money is going to, like, take it to some sort of a chop shop and then they'll do whatever with it. Right, because that that would be like splitting the baby if he was just getting getting it for parts, and uh, he loves his car too much to do that. That's a Mary Beth Whitehead situation. Yeah. All right. So we go back to Yankee Stadium. Wilhelm with George, and Wilhelm is very happy with the work that George has done. He really nailed it, and he's going to hand in that work to Steinbrenner. Yeah. I mean, did Wilhelm do the work himself? I guess he did, right? Yes. Well, I think that the next scene really uh, demonstrates that because George is now with Jerry and says, "Look, hey, somebody else did the work." I don't care. They told me to do it. Maybe it was already done. Maybe, you know, somebody else did it and didn't want the credit. And George says, Jimmy crack corn and I don't care. Yeah, that's a timely reference. Yeah. So now we get a shot of Wilhelm at his house and Wilhelm is talking with his wife and uh, he's saying like, hey, didn't the gardener do a good job with planting those flowers? And his wife says, "Uh, no, uh, Wilhelm. Uh, you planted those flowers. He's like, oh, oh, okay. And he's like, what's for dinner? And she's asking, and she says, uh, no, we just ate. And she asks him, uh, you, did you forget to take your medication again? And apparently he did not. And Keeve, uh, this seems like a sad story. It is very sad, right? I mean, we, this is not, of course, the last we seen of Wilhelm. Uh, you know, he's in the courtroom in the finale. Like we've seen, we see him uh, before that. But Wilhelm, you know, it befitting the organization that we know and love, 
of course, Wilhelm ultimately becomes the head of scouting for the Mets mm-hmm. after he's already sure, been, you know, sure. established that he is literally senile. He becomes the head of scouting for the Mets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm not sure if this is some sort of senility setting in or is this like something more dire, some sort of like early onset of Alzheimer's or something. Something is wrong here with Mr. Wilhelm. And it may be temporary, which is even like creepier. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I don't know what necessarily could be treated. I don't know if we have any sort of psychological expert who might be able to speak to some of these conditions. Yeah. What does Wilhelm have? That's an interesting question going forward because we're going to see him a bunch more times. Okay. But yes, sort of a sad story. I feel like that, uh, you know, treated uh, much more lighthearted in uh, 1996. But uh, I felt bad for Mr. Wilhelm here. Yeah. Very sad. His wife feel bad for his wife. She's going to have to take care of him. Yeah. So here's Jerry and George, and uh, they're talking this through, and the insurance company is not going to provide any reimbursement for Jerry because they say it's not stolen if you give the guy your key. Is this a thing, Keeve? I don't think so. We need an insurance expert here. If we have one, let us know, but it can't be. Right. If I give my car to the valet guy and the valet guy steals my car, I can't call in a claim that my car was stolen. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. I feel like even if like your child steals the car, well, I don't know, then it's like maybe it doesn't work like that. But yeah, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. All right. So the detective calls up. He's at the warehouse. You're going to need to bring in your service records. Um, yeah, what a creepy warehouse it is also. Very creepy warehouse. So we end up in this warehouse. I don't even know how you could get a car into the spot that it's in. And uh, at this crime scene, uh, there's a funny introduction of Elaine uh, that Jerry says, uh, this is Elaine. And she says, uh, we used to date, but now we're just friends, Uh, which I think is a funny way that she's introducing herself in this spot. Yeah, a lot of information for a stranger who doesn't care. Yeah, they know it's a sob. They're not sure what's going on. The detective explains that they really, you know, took their time with this thing. They really got all these parts separated and they are sort of like doing, I guess I like if you would see like in a movie where it's like you, people are identifying a murder victim. Yeah. This is like CSI car. CSI car. Yeah. And so it turns out that they took the turbo and they stuck it up the exhaust pipe. Yeah. And Jerry says, wait, my car wasn't a turbo. Yeah. I don't know what a turbo is, but yeah, I didn't know a turbo is a part. Yeah. It sounds like, uh, yeah, give me some extra turbo and just goes faster. Yeah. But it's not a real thing. And so they start to celebrate, Hey, this isn't my car. And then a woman comes by and says, was, was this a turbo sob? Was it it midnight blue? And it turns out that that was her car. So that their, uh, joy is short lived. I'm still reeling that sobs don't exist anymore. Yeah. That's the worst news of this whole podcast. Other than um, that you hate the short circuit series of films. Well, I, and that I tolerate Everybody Loves Raymond. I, I I don't hate them. I've never heard of them. Yes. Okay. Man, I, I'll just watch Short Circuit 2 and get back to you. I won't watch <laughs> Short Circuit 1. Well, I think 1 is the one that is more, you know, traditionally beloved. I think that 2 is sort of like, uh, in, I think that it's probably like with the Ghostbusters of like, they did a second one. It's like, boy, did we need this second one? They should you remake Short Circuit, Keeve. All women. All women? Yeah. All women, baby. That's not bad. Yeah. You like it? Who would be? Yeah, but Ali Sheedy, is she a man in that one or no? Mm, I think that her character would be played by a man. Right. I don't mean that she's physically a man. I mean that her character switches over. Yeah. And then Female who play, who scientists. Plays, yeah. 
And then it is also then another woman finds. Oh, are you saying because Ali Sheedy's already a woman? Yeah. So is it like Ansel Elgort is the guy? Mm, I, I, look, it could go either way. Uh, I'm open to that. Okay. The Ali Sheedy role. Okay. Okay. And it. no brown face. We're not doing it this time. I don't even know your. T- oh, what, they do blackface in this movie? Brown face. That uh, that Fisher are, Stevens are plays an Indian scientist yes oh that oh okay i've actually heard of that that's like famous for being racist yes yes but i didn't know that it was this movie and he plays uh yeah uh that uh ben is his first name and uh his last name is not pronounceable by yours truly and yes he plays uh a indian scientist with a heavy accent i think doesn't that come up in like master of none or maybe in the interviews for master of none aziz says like in the 80s, like you literally had Fisher Steven in brown face instead of, you know, casting an Indian actor. Yes, 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 yes. OK, so, yes, I mean, unfortunately for the short circuit films, uh, that's probably what it's best known for right now. That's probably why I don't know them, because I feel like now maybe that's considered racist and it's like out of the HBO or like the, you know, like the Showtime West. Maybe, rotation. maybe they took it out of the rotation, but this is why we have to remake it. Yeah, this time it's not racist. Then who's going to go against that? Like. Ghostbusters, people were like, ah, women, blah, blah, blah. but this is like, who's going to be like, no, we need a n- more racist short circuit. You know, I, <laughs> right. This, this could work. This could work for most people. I right. Feel like. That's why we need the new short circuit. Although, Tagline. This time it's not racist. Yeah. Although that, now you'd get into a question of it, like how humanoid do you want to make the robot? You know, I'm going to need to see this movie to really be able to pitch it with you. First. Yeah. We might need to really update the robot also. Oh, definitely. We'll get James Cameron just to do the robot for this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Because we had a very 80s looking robot in the 80s. So now we need like uh, probably like I think that maybe you still don't want a humanoid, uh, but maybe we'll, we'll see. Lots of stuff to workshop on that. But that being said, we then cut to Kramer and Newman singing uh, a million bottles of beer on the wall. Uh, yeah. And, the, you know, they give some information. There's some like exposition in this scene also mm-hmm. where they're just talking about like, uh, you know, they're making each they're each making five hundred dollars. They're going to they're going to Michigan. Uh, I, w- I actually like if you're going to stretch out the scenes, I wouldn't mind a few minutes of this song. I like yes. the song. OK, I good. Yeah, I was going to uh, say in the tune of Michael Jackson, because uh, this is filler, Keeve. I think that this is another spot where I think they say, OK, let's stretch this out. What if we got Kramer and Newman singing 25,000 bottles of beer on the wall in the notes about nothing? They also talked about this was one of the last scenes that they shot for this. That makes sense. But it's also one of the best scenes. You like it. What do you like so much about it? I just like I just like there should be more singing on the show. I like when Kramer and Newman sing. OK. And we fill up with gas. We count up our cash. Nine hundred and nine bills. It seems like they're not on the same page also in what they're saying. I mean, it's possible they took what they, they did, like one, you know, shoot one scene at the end of the day. They're like, oh, we need two more minutes for this episode. Just give us some nonsense. Yeah. All right. So then after that, we go to Jerry. Jerry gets about like 12 phone calls in this episode. So Jerry's on the phone. It's Tony. Hey, somebody wants to talk to you. It's the car. And didn't we already have an episode where it was Jerry's car was stolen and then the they call the guy on the car phone? Yes. Yeah. He's like, give it back. And the guy was like, no, 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 he's not going to. It was Larry David's voice. So he says he's not going to give the car back. He's taking the car somewhere. The registration may have your name on it, but it belongs to me now. It's my blood, sweat and tears in this car. I mean, Tony's giving it. Do you think Tony is like a wife and kids at home? that He's given up for this dumb car. Hmm. That would help explain it. You think he's running away from his wife and kids? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yes. 
Oh. Yes. How tall is Brad Garrett? He's really, oh, he's tall. really tall. He's really tall. I'd say probably at least 6'5". Yeah, I think he is at least 6'5". I mean, actors are short, so sometimes you like tower over them, but you're not that tall. But yeah, let's just say Tom Cruise is not casting Brad Garrett in any movies. Let's see. How tall is uh, Brad Garrett? What do you say? You have a, a guess on this, Keeve? I'm going to say 6'5", yeah. 6'8", according to the Lyric Machine. That is enormous. If you're taking out like guys who played in the NBA, that's like the biggest actor in Hollywood. Biggest actor in Hollywood. I wonder also Ray Romano listed here at six two. Yeah, that might be a generous six two. That might, might be, be like a five eleven six two. Okay, so is the six eight generous? Is he, I mean, is he really six six? No, because who? Why, no, because why would you want it? At a certain point, you don't want to pad it unless you like are trying to play center in the NBA. There's no reason to pad like six because at, at a certain point, like if you're six eight. Every conversation your entire life is how tall are you, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're six six, just like half the conversations are how tall you are. Okay. So we go back to Kramer and Newman, and they are driving. Newman wants to stop for a snack. They don't have the time for that. They're doing really good on gas. They're figuring out they made an extra $7. When Kramer spots the black sob, Brad Garrett, just like uh, running for daylights. Well, really, one of the amazing coincidences of the whole series that these two cars on the road in the great, you know, United States uh, sort of highway system happen to be next to each other. Yeah. Brad Garrett is just out there looking for open road and is just driving to Michigan. What a coincidence. Yes. I guess if you were going to run away with a car, Michigan is not a bad place to go because I feel like that there's a lot of, you know, car stuff there. Sure. What, do you, what does that mean? Motor like city. Right. Right. A lot of places where maybe you could like talk to other mechanics about cars. Yeah. You're going to be like really inconspicuous with your car there because everyone's got a lot of cars and knows their car stuff. Yes. And so then they call Jerry on the phone. Another phone call for Jerry. Hey, Jerry, we got him. We found him. So what phone also is like Kramer yeah, this using? This is insane. This is like this is almost like a science fiction movie. Kramer decides, like, oh, I brought my phone, he says. Like, what, your cell phone that you have? You don't even have a car. Why do you have a cell phone, Kramer? Yeah. Like a car phone. Yeah, it's that nuts. seems odd. And, and what phone is, is Kramer using here? Do we have a screenshot of this? No, I, I'm not sure. Like, I, I didn't get a good look at what at the phone. But there's no, I mean, like, th- that's like a whole episode. Kramer should, you know, it should be a whole episode. Kramer's getting a car phone, especially yeah. if he doesn't have a car. That would be a very Kramer thing to do. Yeah, because it's not like the Zach Morris cell phone. No, and then, like, I knew people, like, fancy people at this point, like, 1995, 1996, who had, like, the car, the phone that was built into your car. Yeah. Like, it was called a car phone. It wasn't called a cell phone. Yeah. Right? Yes. Like, that's, you know, nice cars had that. Yeah. But this is just, like, a cell phone in the car. It doesn't appear to be attached to the front of the car. It makes no sense. There's no cord here. I'm looking at it now. Uh, It's almost like he has, like, some sort of, like, walkie-talkie that he's able to call Jerry on. Walkie-talkie. Yeah, that goes. I mean, that's what phones are essentially, right? They're just I guess so. But he he just like he has the thing to his head. There's no cord. And uh, he says, uh, I'm looking at a meme of Kramer and he says, "Uh, yeah, don't worry, Jerry. We're on this guy like stink on a monkey. Actually, I was just wondering if like, uh, by the way, that's not an expression, right? Stink on a monkey. No, it is not. I was just wondering recently if walkie talkie still existed with like the advent of phones and stuff. Mm hmm. And then my kids made my wife buy them walkie-talkies. Yeah. Which is like, it's a fun thing to do once, but then like they're never going to touch them again. Yeah, I think they're good for like emergencies, like if the phones go down. And then what? And like you need to talk to each other from a different room? <laughs> I guess so. I like, how far do you think they go? They, they, they don't travel like, 
miles. You can't like bring it to school. With if you them. have good enough ones, they do. Well, I don't think like she bought top of the line one targets because it's a waste hey, of money to spend. I don't know. I don't know how far the technology has advanced. I should check the bill. Maybe my wife did spend like all our money on walkie talkies. <laughs> yeah, maybe. All right. Also, so, yes. what a ridiculous name. I'm sure this bit has been done by many comedians, but walkie talkie. What a yeah. name. You don't like it? What should they call it? I mean, like could have grown up really ultimately. That's why cell phones were existed. Like people were happy with walkie talkies, but the name is so embarrassing. No, no, like, you know, self-respecting grown adult could, you know, say, oh, here's my walkie talkie. <laughs> you're that out on the walkie talkie just the name yeah it's, you know i don't think it's that bad i think people like walkie talkie i i would like walked into a ran into like a crazy guy in like a doctor's office once and he was talking to me about his cb radio this is like in 2014 sure it's not like and how like uh everyone needs to be on the cb radio because like he's like what if i need to like talk to my friend in like uh you know the you know india and and uh like, I have a question for somebody in Bangladesh. What am I going to do? Like, I don't know. Like, have you ever heard of the Internet, buddy? Mm-hmm. He didn't like that. Uh, he, he didn't like, uh, he, you know, he was very pro anti-internet, pro uh, CB radio. This Yeah, CB radio, big loser of the Internet. Yeah, really. I, <laughs> I think that, uh, I, I listen, they could still make a comeback. The Internet could be, could get taken down and then the CB radio man will be king. Yeah. Again. Yeah. All right. Well, let's not get too far off the beaten path here because we still got a lot to go here in this episode. So Jerry calls Elaine and he says, hey, Elaine, guess what? Kramer spotted the guys in the car. Come now to my apartment so that we can get updates from the road. Why? Um, Again, this is another scene that would never, ever happen that feels so out of place. Like maybe Elaine could show up and it's like, oh, I ran over. From work. And it's like two seconds of exposition instead of a whole scene. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice it when I was watching the scene because I was just enjoying it. But you're like a hater who's made me realize that there's so much filler in this episode. It's absurd. I just think that what they probably should have done is instead of add more to this one, I think they should have tried to get it down to 22. I, but they, they, you can't. You can't. I don't think you get it down to 22 and still get to Michigan and 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 have. I mean, are you, you, I mean, uh, We'll get there in a few scenes, but you, you obviously have to cut the whole farmers thing. At out. Minutes. Get it out. I kind of like the farmers thing. It's just it's like there was no new wrinkle on the farmer's daughter thing. It's like, right. It's, it is it's very, totally yeah. you see it coming. There's yeah. no new twist on it. It's like, no. you know, an old joke. And we're just like completely just playing out this scene that without yeah. without without a wrinkle where it's not like the, the farmer's daughter rejects Newman or anything like that. But we'll, yeah. we'll get to it. We'll get to it. OK. Yeah. All right. So we end up then with Elaine. She comes over and uh, they want to. Why don't they call the police? Well, they can't because they're in the stolen mail truck. Kramer doesn't want a federal record. Kramer doesn't have a federal record by this point in Seinfeld. Uh, He doesn't have a federal record. No, I feel like most of his crimes are just state crimes. State crimes. Okay. All right. So they're going to try to figure out which way Brad Garrett is getting off the interstate. They have one way to go to go to Michigan, the other way to go to go south. And Jerry and Elaine are telling him to follow the car. Newman is saying, stay the course. They end up uh, swerving and getting off the interstate to follow Brad Garrett. Truly, what what a humble gesture by Kramer. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that they're on incline and now they can't go fast enough to catch up to Brad Garrett. It seems like this seems like this is uh, like out of nowhere also that the car is not going fast enough. Yeah, it, it's not really explained why, but yeah. I mean, I guess they are. 
they are holding down a lot of stuff in that back. But isn't that what these cars are supposed to do? These trucks. Right. So Kramer decides we need to get rid of some weight. So, boy, uh, they easily have 30 pounds of aluminum cans in the car. 30 pounds. Yeah. How heavy are empty aluminum cans? They weigh they nothing. Have like th- they have like hundreds of bags, though. I guess. I mean, it's, the mellow it's, yellows aren't light. I guess. Like I, I guess models. not. I, I guess not. But uh, I mean, that doesn't seem like the actual bottles and cans. The bottles might be heavy, but since they have a lot of aluminum cans. Yeah, it's still like it adds up. It, it's got to weigh down the car at a certain point. OK. Does it weigh as much as Newman? I guess not. <laughs> the canon of the show, but. Probably not. All right. So they start throwing stuff out of the car. All right. So we go back to Steinbrenner and George at Yankee Stadium. And uh, that Steinbrenner is telling George that Wilhelm gave him the project and uh, he was not happy with it. It made uh, it made no sense. And he wants to know if uh, George is having personal problems, uh, any girl trouble. Is George doing the crack cocaine? The crack cocaine. Yes. Would have had a lot of Yankees. Maybe now this is 96, not 95. Maybe that's gone already. But like would have had would have had some Yankees probably could have supplied him with that stuff. Easy, Keith. Tread lightly here. Probably the, those those same Yankees were probably 86 Mets also. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the same guys. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, then to go from there, then uh, the the guys start to come in with the insane asylum and they want to take George away. Steinbrenner says uh, they're going to take you to a nice place where you can get some help. There's friendly people there. My brother-in-law uh, was at this place. He was obsessed with lactating women. It's a little weird. That's like a weird throw in line, right? That's very odd for Mr. Steinbrenner's brother. And he still eats a lot of cheese, that guy. Yeah. What a weird line. Yes. All right. Uh, he says, get better, George. Get better. <laughs> get better. <laughs> uh, which, which is funny. Okay. So the mail truck is still chasing the sob. And Kramer realizes that they need to get rid of more weight. And he talks Newman into getting off the truck to go and look for a homemade pie stand. I mean, Newman in this episode is so much dumber than Newman in any episode before or after. It's really remarkable. Pretty remarkable. And so we then uh, follow Newman as he goes through a field of crops and he finds a house uh, that has a pie on the windowsill. And he comes up and meets a farmer who is played by Ron Howard's dad. Is that who this is? Ron Howard's dad? Yes. Who knew? Yes. Is he also from Short Circuit, too? No, I don't believe that any of the Howards had anything to do with the Short Circuit films. But he invites Newman in. And uh, I like that Newman says that he's a postal worker that was ambushed by backwoods by male hating survivalists. Uh, Newman ahead of his time on that one, I think. Yeah, for sure. Uh, By the way, his name is Rance Howard. That's a good name. Yes. Good name. Rance could come back, I feel like. Well, his character could. No, 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 like the name Rance as a a name that could come back. Yes. Well, actually, Rance Howard, I believe the actor, I he had appeared earlier in Seinfeld. Do you know where? Well, obviously, it's a different person. Um, No. Who was Rance Howard before this? He appeared in The Glasses and he was a guy that George. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we mentioned that that when that he would be back. Yeah, yeah. He's the blind guy. Yes. And so he invites Newman in and he says his only rule is keep your hands off of my daughter. No mom in this farm that's right off a highway. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, that's the deal. 
So Newman can come in, but he cannot sleep with the farmer's daughter. All right. So then we go back to Kramer driving the car. He's closing in on Tony, but Tony decides to throw some golf clubs back towards Kramer while he's driving. Uh, yeah, very dangerous here. Yeah, very dangerous. Uh, Kramer felt like he's got him. You would think that the sob would be able to just blow Kramer away, right? Like the sob could just like hit 100 and a mail truck, you know, how fast is the mail truck on? Yeah, but Kramer may have destroyed the car, you know, beyond recognition to the point where, uh, you know, listen, when you open up a hood and put groceries in there, all bets are off for the rest of the life of the car. Yeah, but Tony, I guess maybe it wasn't ready yet to potentially be all set to go. Like uh, he maybe he needed to do more work and now he's on the lamb. On the lamb. Yeah. Um, that made me hungry for lamb, honestly. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that's the case. Maybe that's he doesn't have like the right spark plugs in there to be able to uh, go top speed. So he just starts throwing the golf clubs back. Uh, He's throwing the bag and eventually they end up blowing out a tire and he just gets away. Um, I I mean, the post, you know, the the postal truck versus Saab, like you said, should never have been a fair fight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so Kramer is now just totally left for dead on the side of the road. He's on the phone with Elaine and Jerry and Elaine asks him to go pick up the golf clubs. Uh, I mean, Kramer really is so selfless in this episode. Like first he goes after, um, he, you know, he goes after the uh, the car rather than continue on his road to Michigan. And now he's like going across the entire highway, picking up golf clubs. Mm -hmm. possibly risking his own life. That's pretty impressive from Kramer. Yeah. And so he goes and he picks up all of the golf clubs and then he ends up deciding to uh, go and uh, look for someplace to stop as well. Yeah. I mean, and like, how did this work that he ends up at the same house? Maybe they were like, he kept driving for miles. No, maybe they were going in a circle. You you mean like it was a high speed chase, like, but just in a circle? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Like maybe this farm is like a big, you know, many acres of property, like centrally located. The interstate like wraps around it. If that's true, then, uh, you know, I'm impressed. But it makes uh, no sense. It makes no sense. No, no sense. Okay, so we go back to Newman eating family dinner with uh, the farmer with Rance Howard and delicious mutton. No callback to the previous mutton that we've seen on. I think this is is just the idea. The idea of mutton is a callback. Okay. Mutton is so specific. You don't need to be like, mm, I know mutton. Yeah, it's intentional. What's he going to say? Like, there's nothing finer than this mutton or whatever Jerry said. <laughs> yes. Uh, he could have said something, you know, uh, you know, uh, some uh, some lesser men don't appreciate a fine mutton. Um, yeah, I, I mean, like mutton doesn't exist anymore, I'm sure. Yeah. Anyway, then we get to the daughter flirting with Newman and uh, that he's like completely like sweating in this scene. And uh, the Rance Howard is, is that cider too much for you? And the daughter very excited to have a big, strong man to have around the farm. I, what about the dad? The dad's not strong. It's kind of shots fired I mean, at the dad. And don't get me wrong. Like this is this is funny, but. I just think that you didn't necessarily need this. I I forgot this was all in here in this episode. Yeah, you're right. You know, your point is is that on it's not breaking any new ground here. It's not memorable. This this scene could be in just shoot me just the same as Seinfeld. Mm hmm. Yeah. And so I like that Newman says that he does Nautilus. Yeah, I don't I don't even know. I had to look that up. Yeah. 
<laughs> All right. So we see George committed here in the mental asylum. Again, Keith, now here is George uh, that he's leaving a message for Jerry, not for Susan, uh, for Jerry. And uh, guess who's here? Well, why would he want Susan to know that he's in a mental hospital? I mean, why does he want Jerry to know just to commiserate? I think he wants he needs some help getting out. Yeah, although maybe it would have helped if he had called Susan. Maybe she would have been. Uh, I mean, she's literally two weeks away from her demise at this point. You know, anything possibly could have saved her. Maybe she realizes, oh, he's in a mental institution, sees him there. He kind of looks like he fits in when George is there, right? Yeah, let me get uh, down so- there. Let me I'll talk to somebody, George. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of resources that the Rosses have at their disposal. Um, yeah, they could have bailed him in two seconds. Besides the fact that he's being held against his will by his employer. Yeah. We end up with Pop is back, Keith, for the third time. Yeah, I do like the little callbacks here. Like the subtle callbacks, they, they started doing a much better job of as the series rolls along. Uh, love seeing Pop in the mental institution here. Yeah, so here's Pop and daughter and uh, finally pay off to this story that we've been going with all the way back from when, what, which episode was this, where we ended up with uh, George wanted to take the waitress out from Monks? Uh, yeah, and, and um, it was with the glasses, no, because George couldn't see. Yeah, the first time was Lloyd Braun went to the mental asylum and then he wanted to go back to go tell his neighbors about Lloyd Braun. And then the second time was she showed up again when in the doll, right? When uh, he was in the diner. And then ultimately we have her back uh, for the third time this season. Yeah. So the gum, the doll and now now. Yes. The trifecta. Uh, yeah, but I do like I love the subtle callbacks. They should do this more often. It's a long way for this joke that he's been in sort of this, you know, he's a crazy person. But uh, I do, you know, I, 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 I this is not one of the scenes that was probably written in last minute because maybe required a little bit of thought as opposed to just singing 99 bottles of Bueller on the wall. Yeah. Pop wants to know, uh, you still got that nice little car? Yeah. And again, like I like the idea that he's calling back the car from two, you know, two episodes ago that he was in. Mm-hmm. All right. And then finally, uh, Kramer shows up at the house, but uh, that Newman could not keep his hands off of the daughter or vice versa. And Newman starts running out uh, with his pants uh, sort of unbuttoned. And uh, the daughter yells to him, uh, goodbye, Norman. It seemed like the daughter was much more into Newman than like Newman was into following the rules. He just needed a place to sleep. Before he got back on the road, the daughter was like, hadn't seen a dude in, uh, she was very thirsty. Yes. So she's very thirsty. Uh, the goodbye Norman, it turned out from the inside look was a mistake, uh, that she's yes. supposed to say goodbye Newman and it was a mistake and they left it in there cause it was funny. Yeah. It, it actually works. It's like, oh yeah, they don't know each other. Yes. And then, uh, there you go. That's, uh, that's the end of the episode. And we get the tag of Elaine and Peterman and, uh, that, Peterman was going to go play golf with Ethel Kennedy and Elaine gives in the clubs and um, Peterman gets them. And he says, boy, I never knew Kennedy had such a temper. And Elaine uh, with a good line. Yeah. The only thing worse was his slice. Yeah, that is a good joke. That's a good golfing joke from Elaine to come up with on the fly. Yeah. Good joke. Very, uh, very strong joke. Uh, it all works out for Elaine. Yeah. It's funny because this is like a pretty negative. It's this episode skews negative. Jerry loses his car basically for good. Mm-hmm. You know, Kramer, you know, comes up empty. George ends up in a mental institution. 
Mm-hmm. But everything's roses for Lainey Bennis. Yeah, she did fine. She did fine in this episode. Okay, Keith, uh, let's start to put all the pieces together here in this two hour episode. You know, I, I had said I, I felt like that there's probably a lot of a lot of filler there. Uh, I think you could have gotten it down to a one episode of Seinfeld. But w- what's your feelings on this now that we've sort of looked at the big picture? Yeah, yeah, you had some good points. You know, I just watched it for the love of the game and, and you really just threw a lot of cold water on it this week. Mm-hmm. But everything you said was correct. I think. You, we could have cut, I mean, like off the top of our head. So if a gun to our heads, if we need to cut it to 22, obviously we need to cut the whole farmer's door thing. That's a few minutes that doesn't really factor in the end. Uh, we could cut out at least one of the scenes of them trying to figure out, um, you know, how much everything costs. Cut out all like the, hey, Elaine, come over type scenes. I think you could also cut out everything of the detective and yeah. Hey, yeah. The, yeah. The, the going to the wrong car. That's like a three minute scene. You could get rid of that one for sure. Yeah. I think that's probably you get about maybe five minutes out with, but again, that's not a bad scene. Like that's when, when the lady realizes it's her car, that's kind of a funny scene. I mean, everything is fine, but there is like, nothing is God awful. Nothing's even bad, but I think that you probably could make this uh, a really funny, tight episode. I feel like that as an hour, long entry i feel like that you know i think it drags in a a, a little bit in some spots right i mean i guess you could argue you know starting with the like shiny example of the boyfriend if we're going to an hour there needs to be like a grand story to a reason right yeah and so for keith hernandez we're going for any season finale it's reasonable to have an hour you know even if it's not an epic episode the pilot needs to be an hour you know the trip to la is essentially three is three episodes uh stretch over two seasons uh, so this is maybe the least epic of like the two parters. I mean, I guess, you know, what's the other option? I guess you could say like the Cadillac. Yeah. Well, uh, what's the Marissa Tomei with the uh, going to go see Schindler's List? Is that that's that really two parts, though? Oh, I'm not sure. I think they probably aired it in two parts, though. I mean, aired it uh, in one night, I I, I believe. Well, the raincoats, you mean? Sorry. Yes. Yes. Um Keeve, though, you're forgetting about special guest star Brad Garrett. Right. But again, you, it was pre Garrett being famous. So you couldn't sort of pitch him uh, as the as the, uh, you know, like the big star. No, no, I, I'm 100 percent joking. OK. Yeah. I'm surprised. You know, Ray Romano and Jerry, are they friends? I'm surprised Ray never ends up really in a big role here. I'm sure that they are friendly. Oh, you think there's like uh, is there like a Seinfeld group and a Romano group and never. The two shall like, uh, you know, cross paths. I feel like that Kevin James is the intersection of the Ray Romano group and the Sandler circle. So I feel like that Romano is sort of like tangentially connected to the Sandler crew through Kevin James, where I feel like that there's the Seinfeld crew. And then Chris Rock is in the middle of that Venn diagram. Now, right. Rock is friends with all of them, right? Rock is close with Jerry and Rock is close with Sandler and he bridges Rock is the gap. CK, who Louis has his CK. own group. It's, so, it's a one-man group, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's interesting. And what about Seinfeld and Sandler? What's what's their relationship like? Since I don't think that there is that. one. Is there beef? I don't know if there is beef, but I think that probably, I would guess, and this is just completely, I'm just making up fan fiction, that Jerry probably thinks Sandler is too lowbrow and he's highbrow like Sandler is sort of like the, you know, frat boy potty humor. And that's not what Jerry does. 
I mean, isn't Sandler a Met fan though? Can all don't all Met fans like have to get along? I don't know. Sandler, I believe, is a Yankee fan. Oh, is he a Yankee fan? Is he one of these both guys? He might be a both guy. Yeah, I feel like he's, he's a Jets. Like, Sandler's definitely a big Jets fan. Yes, um, I'm almost positive Sandler is a Yankee fan. Although Sandler did go on Mike and the Mad Dog once and talk about how he like brought his kids to a uh, to like a Broadway play during like a Jet playoff game, so he's out for me. He's like a fake celebrity fan. Yeah, I'm probably it just means he's a good dad and like I'm a monster who would never even consider, you know, taking my kids anywhere. I'd miss my kids like, you know, graduation, wedding, whatever for a jet playoff game. But, you know, that's uh, I mean, here's uh, the simple answer. Yeah. Ray Romano, Adam Sandler, Kevin James. None of them have ever been on comedians in cars getting coffee. Louis mm-hmm. C.K., Chris Rock, both have been on. Yeah, that's not a bad point. You would think that Ray Romano, if they were friends, that he would have gotten him by now. Connect the dots. Rob is very woke to the whole Seinfeld scene. Yeah, I think that he's telling you what he who he's friends with. <laughs> he's endorsing or or not in, or unendorsing by not inviting them on. That's or maybe right. they're turning him down. Maybe they're like, nah, you know, I'm not. I don't like. I don't drink coffee. <laughs> no, no. Has there been someone like? No, some people don't drink coffee. Has there been like a tea drinker on the show? I think that's you could drink tea. I, I think that you can absolutely. I, you know, you're not beholden to the coffee. And then do you have to go in a car? Would it be like comedians in trains getting tea? I mean, if you said if there was a good enough get and you didn't want coffee and you didn't want to go in a car, I think they'd make it work. Really? It would be like comedians in buses getting bagels. I think so. I think that they could okay. bring, you know, stuff to your house. How big would you have to be like if you're like Mel Brooks? Sandler. I don't think they went that they went out for coffee. I felt like they brought takeout to his house. Yeah, that's just because he's old. Yes, not because he's like an A-list celebrity. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, Adam Sandler, Yankees. Yeah, I think he's a big Yankee fan. No, forget it. I'm over yes. him. Yes, he's yeah, he wears like a Yankee hat, like Jay Z. You're right. He does. I had that in my head, but I also sort of like thought of him. But Kevin James is a Mets fan. That's right. So Jerry should automatically like him. I like him. Like I like a Mets fan who's like a serial killer more than I like a Yankees fan who's my friend. <laughs> All right, uh, let's get into let's leave that alone and uh, get into uh, let's grade out the stories for everybody. All right, Jerry and his car being uh, stolen by Tony, the Brad Garrett uh, friend, brother of Ray Romano. Uh, Jerry in the car. I mean, it's like the I'll give it a B. It's interesting. It's not a bad story. It's not like you lose it because it's really like the crux of the whole episode. But there aren't a ton of amazing laughs. I kind of do like. It is. It's sort of gloomy when they go to the car depository weird thing. Yeah. But I, li- I like that the lady comes and her car is dead. It is funny that we got to Ray Romano by way of Adam Sandler and Kevin James and not by way of Brad Garrett. Yeah, I don't even know how we got into that thing. <laughs> you said that Adam Sandler is a Mets fan. Oh, well, I feel like it had to start from earlier than that. I don't know. It's yeah, late. probably. All right. So that what was your letter grade for Jerry? I'll give it a B. A B. I think that's probably a little high. I'll say at best it's a C plus. Okay. Really did not love that part of the story. All right. Elaine and the JFK golf clubs. You know, the most memorable of the of probably the storylines, um, the, the auction scene is pretty really good. More memorable like than the re- mail truck. I guess not I, like that one scene, but like as a whole storyline, I feel like. People, you know, who, who forgets the JFK golf clubs? It's the, I mean, one of the first things you think of when you think about Peterman. Really? I, I don't know. It is for me. Uh, I mean, not anyway, for me. Okay. All right, you're a hater for this episode. I'm Are not a hater for this episode. Uh, I mean, 
uh, I would say that, I mean, there's nothing wrong with this. It's just uh, that, you know, there's not a ton of laughter. I'll say it's a B minus for Elaine. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to give this a B also. OK, um, George with going on the project and then ultimately getting in the insane asylum. It, it's definitely the fourth storyline, but I will give it an A just because like A minus maybe I maybe some of the scenes in Yank in like the offices could have been funnier, but him be, him in the mental institution is pretty solid and he sells it really well. Yeah, I'll he looks like he belongs there. Yeah, he does look like he's belong. I mean, he's mentally ill. He does belong there. He's crazier than half the people in the mental institution. Yeah. Uh, Kramer with Newman on the bottle deposit road. I think you have to give it an A, honestly. I'll give it an A. It's, it's the strongest part of the episode. And I think the only, if I really wanted to be ticky tack, I could take some points away for the whole thing with the farmer. At yeah, the but end that's of the really episode. Newman. That's not that's even really Kramer. Newman, but you have to, yeah. it's connected to Kramer, but I won't. I'll, I'll, I'll give it an A just so you can't say I'm a hater of this episode. Okay. I'll give it an A. Okay. So the two part episode, Keeve, mm-hmm. yeah. where does this fall in your rankings? You seem like you are certainly higher than I am on it. Did it crack? The top half of episodes, I think, is the question. I will say that you have it around, I'll say, 85. All right. Not terrible, but not within the range where you get the points or whatever yes. you get. Yes. Uh, what, six, what was it? A little higher. 67. I 67. Have wow. Even that high. Okay. Yeah, it's not bad. I, some people have it a lot higher. It's, you know, the, the, the golf clubs, like maybe the first time you see it, it's a lot funnier than the 80th time. But like throwing the golf clubs at the wind, you know, there's a lot of things that tie together really well in this episode that. Maybe we didn't touch on, but the you know, the, the things things tie together better in this episode than a lot of season seven episodes. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. So, Keeve, let's dip into our Seinfeld mailbag. Do we have an overstuffed mailbag uh, in honor of Mother's Day and the two week hiatus that we took from the show? Well, I didn't even look at the old questions, so we probably did. But I only took uh, the okay. bottle deposit questions. because We had so many. Okay, we got so many bottle deposit questions. All right. So why don't we open up this mailbag, Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. And uh, before people turn off the podcast, I just want to mention again, we always appreciate when you give us your feedback and star ratings on our iTunes page at postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes. All right. Why would people turn off the podcast? I'd be like, oh, they're up to the feedback. Okay, let me just. Uh, now I wonder. I'm, I wonder if there's anybody who just fast forwards like to the feedback after like 20 minutes. Maybe. Unlikely. If you fast forward, probably not. Probably not. Johnny D. says, uh, Wayne Knight's weight loss was due, uh, in fact, to the end of this episode. He suffered heart palpitations while filming the running scene, and his doctor told him he was close to developing diabetes, and he started to live a healthier lifestyle from then on. Yeah, that's a cool story. And he does get thinner by season nine. Good for Wayne Knight. All right. Keith, this next email is from Lindsay, who I had the pleasure of meeting in New York at the live podcast taping that we did in New York last week. Oh, wow. First time you met her? I believe so, uh, that she came and uh, is she and she's is, Canadian, right? Yes. Very nice Canadian person. But I thought you were going to say very saying. Canadian. Yes. You're going to say very Canadian. No, very nice Canadian. And mm-hmm. uh, no, she was uh, great to meet and uh, very happy to have a uh, a Seinfeld podcast listener there at the show. Is she going to is she going to travel to Australia for the for the finale episode? We didn't talk about that. OK, we'll get we'll get into that. I mean, now it's like that's in like 2018 since we took a week off. I feel like we're so far behind on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're talking August for the for the finale of this of this podcast. And now it's like. We're going to have to hurry up just to get it in September, I, I think. <laughs> well, you got to hope so. 
Lizzie says, uh, have you guys ever bought anything in an auction? My mom goes to this fundraising auction every year and always tries to troll her friends by bidding on stuff they want. Always ends up winning something she doesn't want. I think she ended up buying one pie for like $20. First of all, that's an amazing deal. I would spend $50 right now for a pie. I'm so hungry. What if it was a pie you didn't like? There is none? My, my, my daughter had like a, a friend sleepover and like they ate all the dinner and I didn't get to eat until the kids were gone and there was no dinner left. So right now, I, I do, even if it was like an olive pie, I would eat it. What if it was coconut custard? I would eat it. I'm just so okay. hungry right now. Okay. Um, and uh, she asks, uh, how does Jerry not know his license plate number? Is that normal? Do you know your license plate number? I, pr- I do not off the top of my head. I have to be honest. I, I got a different car in the last uh, couple of months, and I don't know what it is. But I probably took a picture of it with my phone. It's not a sob, right? It's not a sob. No. So, yeah. Do you know yours? Do you know yours? No, it's also relatively new. I don't I like in the past, like if I ever had like my parents would have a car for like a decade or something, I would know that license plate, at least like, you know what it is? Everyone knows the first three digits of their car, Mm -hmm. but I don't think anybody knows all all six or whatever. Yeah, I know the letters. I don't know the numbers. You could find it. If there was two identical cars in the lot, you would know which one was like. Yeah, because I'd what be hitting the, the key thing to make the panic button go Let's off. Let's say you lost that, too. Yes, I lost that, too. So what do I like? I don't know if I don't have the keys. The car is. You don't know the as, first like two or three letters. I know the letters. I don't know the numbers. OK, fine. Fair enough. Yeah. What does Dan the Benefactor want from us? Dan the Benefactor uh, still licking his wounds after the baseball season. Uh, yeah, but says, he's like uh, he, he could become uh, we might be getting a lot more money for the podcast because he's like. One of the last people left in a lot of my pools. <laughs> Dan, the benefactor says that Kramer has two key decision points in the car chase. One early on, follow Jerry's car or stick to the plan and continue on to Michigan to get the bottle refunds or toward the end. When Tony is throwing the golf clubs, stop and pick up the clubs or keep following the car. So Seinfeld know it alls. What were the optimal moves for Kramer? Personally, I'm on team abandon Jerry's car and go to Michigan. It seemed like they are better off sticking to the plan, but maybe that's because I don't understand what Kramer's end game was if he actually caught Jerry's car. And also team pick up the clubs. The clubs are priceless. The car can be replaced. Yeah, no, definitely pick up the clubs once you're in that situation. But I think I think there's no unless you're calling the police, there's no benefit to trying to chase down a car that's faster than you, because even if he runs out of gas, what are you going to do? Like fight him for the car? He's mm-hmm. enormous. Yeah. He's six foot eight. Wow. Either two like Kramer and Newman are not going to be able to double team and tag team and beat him up. So, uh, the, you know, to me, just continue to Michigan and call the police and tell them that the stolen car is, uh, you know, driving with, you know, on its way to wherever. I think not Dusty Baker nor the Nationals third base coach got this kind of second guessing from Dan, the benefactor. That's right. Uh, Courtney <laughs> and Kendall. Yes. They wrote in and they said, uh, is Kramer choosing to follow the black sob over the bottle deposit money? His greatest act of friendship during this series. Oh. Mm, I'm trying to think. Um, nothing is uh, coming to mind offhand. I mean, he's not willing to move a body. Yeah, no, I, I need to really think about it. And we could also track it going forward. But uh uh, that's a mirror. That's a good question for a mirror. He knows this stuff. I usually like to say Chester, but it's something about like kindness. It's not something Chester would pay attention to. Yeah, it doesn't also, appear. Courtney and Kendall, Courtney or Kendall, I'm assuming, uh, dress their baby up as George Costanza for Halloween. Yeah, they, they attached a picture for us. To see, it's uh, uh, it's it, you know, very Costanza. But they said people didn't really know who he was. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I, I don't have the picture in front of me, but I need to look at it. 
What did Pat in Ohio say? Pat in Ohio says, uh, uh, also, Jerry mentioned a muffin almost being sucked into the carburetor of his car. But by this time, most cars, if not all of them, had fuel injection. In fact, Jerry's model of car had fuel injection as early as 1981, according to Wikipedia. It seems pretty odd that Jerry, who seems to be a great lover of cars, to be that ignorant. Yeah, uh, I have a theory, Rob. Yes. Yeah, Patton, Ohio is really Alexander in New York. Is that true? Is that the theory? No, I, I mean... It's it's such a Chester comment. Chester it's funny because like an Ohio address to vote. Oh, yeah, maybe. I mean, uh, it's probably like I could see Chester voting in like all 50 states. That's plausible. Um, um, I to me like also a lot of people write in their emails now. And if it's like a it's like a nitpicky question, like, literally four or five people did it this week where it was like not to be too much of a Chester. But yes, good. <laughs> I like that that's becoming a thing. Uh, I would yeah. say that Jerry was probably just being uh, apocryphal about the uh, they told him that a muffin was going to get sucked into the carburetor. Yeah, I, I think that he would have gone crazy at that point. Yes, he was too calm for muffins and carburetors. Yes. So Matt in Massachusetts says, I hate to go all Alexander Chester here. There you go. But I found it incredibly lazy. They use the exact same road over and over again. We see the exact same shot of the road when Tony called Jerry to inform him that his car is not doing well. When Tony threw the golf clubs at the mail truck and when Kramer kicked Newman out of the truck. Are we supposed to believe that this is some sort of magical never ending road or are they just driving around in circles? Well, it's funny you should mention that because that would solve the plot point of the where was Newman at this whole time. There is one circular road that just goes round and round this, you know, acre is a farmland yeah that makes sense actually yeah matt in massachusetts we got it we got it all right what about sean falconer yeah he wants to let us know that he got engaged oh congratulations well, to we, sean falconer we, we peer pressured him into popping the question because i've mentioned a few times that he was uh you know he had that he had to get married already and uh, we're invited to the wedding oh fantastic we're, that, and we're allowed the podcast from it also okay where is that in the uh love you bay area I think I think he's from the Bay Area, Sean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. I don't know. Maybe like uh, he's getting married in his wife's hometown or something. Oh, know. maybe. Maybe. All right. Keep us posted. Yeah. OK. So Sean, many weddings. I mean, that's on our yeah, calendar we get a lot of wedding invites for like, you know, two podcasters. That's a, well, I, I, let me ask you a question. Yes. Because on, on 32 fans, I asked Chester if I have to come to his funeral. Yes. Because like, well, who am I going there? Like, he's not there. Like his yes. wife is like dealing with like her you know her dead husband and you know her kids like are are there like she's gotta like deal with them she's not gonna appreciate that i'm there she's gonna be like too caught up on guilt or pretending to be sad or whatever Mm -hmm. and the like and his parents don't even like me and they barely know who i am it's like why am i going to this funeral you know it's not like i'm getting a speak it's not like i'm getting a speaking gig yeah well you only go to funerals if you get a speaking gig yeah no i mean i don't know but anyway um yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's like irrational to go to the funeral if you don't know. Like the guy's he's dead. I'm not, I still have to think about it. Um, but it made me think. I'll ask you the opposite question. I don't want to get too morbid. Okay. If you got married tomorrow, okay, and you had a wedding similar sized to your whatever your first wedding was, which was not like an eloping in Vegas. It was a real wedding, right? Mm-hmm, right. Would I be invited to your wedding? I mean, 
if you were in, I wouldn't want to like Sue Ellen Mishki you and invite if you I was to like, the wedding. If you're like, oh, you're going to be in New York this summer. I'm getting, you're not going to get married in LA. I, I would be happy to extend an invitation to you. Well, so that's not the same as inviting me, extending an invitation. Well, that I, because I, because here's the thing. I look at the world like uh, in the ways that I would, like I would not want to put the pressure on you of having to go to the wedding because I would hate for you to feel like, oh, no, I got to go to this wedding. Oh, why would he even invite me to this? That he just wants a mm. gift. I would yeah. not want to put that on you. But if yeah. you told me like, hey, I'm going to be in town that week that uh, I would say, oh, sure. And it's like you're fishing for an invite. You but, want the person. But, to I, but I wouldn't look at it like I would be like, oh, thank you for telling me and avoiding this potential, this tra- this trap of our society of now. Mm. OK, now now you're mad at me because I, I was supposed to invite you and I didn't know as right. opposed to I, I'm more worried about like, oh, I don't want to invite him and then make him annoyed that he has to go to this thing like I might be. What about the weirdness of like, we've never met in person. And then I'm like meeting you for the first time at your wedding. Eh, I feel like that that would be one of the least weird things about that day. Yeah. You think, and then like you have all these listeners, you kind of have to invite all your listeners to the wedding. You have to invite all the listeners to the wedding. Uh, Yeah. I would be happy if they came to my funeral. At least somebody would be there then. Cause if if, if they don't come, well, if they don't come, then it's going to be, it's going to be a very, so, uh, you know, very small. Is there like ceremony. a live, is there like Wiggler and Fishback doing a live podcast from your funeral? I don't know, but it'll be very depressing. <laughs> if, if the listeners don't come, it'll be a very, it'll be even more depressing. All right. So everyone, yeah, well now we're like making people sad, but uh, yeah, I think the, the like, uh, I hear what you're saying. And also like a lot of the wedding invites when someone's out of town, you know, they're not coming mm-hmm. are, um, are just like money grubbing for gifts. Like you said, like I, a classmate who like lives far away from me. Uh, asked for my address like a year ago to get married. And I have nothing to do with him. He was just being like nice. We were friends in high school. He's like, hey, what's your address? And I like didn't really give it to him mm-hmm. because then I have to like send a gift, you know? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. I'm like, I- I'm not going to be there then. It's so nice of you to think of me. Don't waste the, you know, invitations are expensive. Don't waste the $3 on the invitation and the, or maybe more. I don't know how much invitations cost. Then the, you know, a dollar on a stamp now that Newman is messing up the post office and they have to raise their rates. Don't, you know, don't don't waste that money on me. It's the thought that counts. And now I don't have to have a gift because I wasn't invited. I never got an, an invitation. It's a lot. It's a, a whole big thing to figure out. It's, you know, I if people could just say like, OK, do you want to come to this or not? I won't be mad. That's that's what things should be. All right. What does Caleb from Atlanta want? Do you blame George for not following Mr. Wilhelm into the bathroom? I know for sure I wouldn't. Other than weirdo stalker people. Who would follow anyone into the bathroom? I mean, if you're having a conversation, it's not that crazy. Also, you're assuming like the majority of the time he's just going into like pee, use the urinal for 30 right. seconds. It's really pee buddies on the talker to, yeah. you know, the call. The, the listener really is out of, uh, you know, it's almost like more awkward for the listeners. Like, hey, I'm really not comfortable with where this is going. It's really up to like if the talker is like continuing the conversation, I think that's really you don't really have a choice as the listener. Right. But also like Wilhelm's an old man. I feel like the old men don't really have like a lot of shame about things. Right. So. Right. He's getting naked at the gym and stuff like that. Yeah, totally. Wilhelm is getting naked at the gym. Craig from Vancouver says that he thinks what Kramer did to Newman here is the worst thing he's ever done on the show. He kicked his friend of the truck, which since it's under Newman's name, he technically stole it from Newman, who mm-hmm. stole it from the post office. Well, it's he not technically out- stealing if uh, Newman gave him the keys. That's right. That's right. Uh, he kicks Newman out in the middle of Ohio, a state where Newman's never been before. That along with the fact that Newman's almost murdered because of it. How do they stay friends? 
Kramer most really have the Kavorka. Newman didn't even testify about this at the trial. <laughs> I mean, Newman doesn't have a lot of friend options, you know. Right. I mean, that I don't think that necessarily that the mail truck is what they're talking about, where they get back together. I think Newman is being like a real dog about this whole farmer's daughter incident. It is like, uh, like, oh, my God, Kramer, let me tell you, she was all over me and uh, there was nothing I could do about it. Like uh, she wanted it. Uh, Kramer. I think that the whole mail truck is forgotten completely. Um, locker room talk happening at that point. Yeah, a lot of locker room talk. That's that's <laughs> really been the talk of the town recently. It is happening. It is happening. Amir says, although this episode has too many scenes for its own good, I really like that we get to see the bottle deposit scheme develop from initial thought to actualization. It feels like Kramer's plot lines generally start with the scheme already in his mind. I like that we get the full picture of insanity here. So the, yeah, so he's like on that? Team Akiva a little bit. Yeah. I mean, he's right. He, he he agrees with you that there are too many scenes, but really. So we should really split the baby King Solomon style, like 34 minute episode. We're fine. But yeah, the you feel it more because they have they have the idea. They spend time, you know, actually literally calculating the idea. Then you go on this journey with them, this epic journey to Michigan. And, you know, you feel it. It may it, you know, it makes it more impactful than if Kramer's just retelling a story of something that you're not even seeing. Yeah. And you're just hearing about it off screen. And honestly, if I was going to cut things out of this episode, I don't think maybe you could cut one of the, you know, 20 second scenes of them hatching the idea. But I don't think that's really where I would cut a lot of the stuff out. I think that the only place I might make the cut here is the farmer's daughter stuff at the end of the episode. Mm hmm. You know, I don't know necessarily how we could end this a, a different way. I mean, we have to figure out some different ending for them, which I don't have anything off the top of my head. Um, like, I don't know, like they get to, they get there on a Sunday and uh, like, the, like it's not open or I don't know what you could do with them. But um, I don't think that necessarily or, or I mean, you could do the same thing where they sort of like uh, get, you know, left for dead after Brad Garrett throws the golf clubs. I don't know if you needed the farmer's daughter stuff. Mm hmm. All right. So Amir also says Steinbrenner had George committed against his will. It should be noted that this is 100 percent illegal. Involuntary commitment can only be done through the court system or in an emergency by a therapist slash doctor. The idea that your boss can have you committed against your will is ludicrous. Yeah. Amir's wrong here. You know why? Why? Because in 1996, George Steinbrenner could get someone locked up if he wanted. If he wanted to. Right. I mean, he runs the city like George Steinbrenner had all the power. Everyone's afraid of him. If he said, let's, uh, you know, put. I don't know, Wade Boggs in a mental institution because he eats chicken all day. Wade Boggs is going to the mental institution. Yeah, I think he has his guys. I think that he could probably pull it off. Also, Amir adds, doesn't George's storyline here feel a bit similar to the Penske file plot line? He's given responsibility for work that he doesn't know or understand and is given credit for doing a good job on something he didn't actually do. Yeah, I could see that. When you put it that way, yes, yes, but it's not what I thought of when I saw it, when, you know, when you when you see this thing. But yeah, ultimately, when you just, when you when you like line it out clearly like that, uh, it is pretty similar to the Penske file. OK. All right. Although he keeps his job. this time. Yes. And then finally, what does the North Turner of emailers, Alexander Chester, have to say? It makes no sense. <laughs> Should I do Chester? <laughs> Extra nasal Chester this week on 32 fans uh, that Elaine leaves clubs in Jerry's car. And then Jerry leaves them in the car. Nobody leaves anything in a car in New York City. You leave a banana on the seat in sight of passersby. You expect your window to be broken. Yet Elaine and then Jerry leave someone else's $20,000 JFK golf clubs in there. Um, first of all, I don't know. Chester lives in like an apocalyptic like <laughs> 1980s New York City. Like I, I don't think I ever had anything <laughs> stolen from inside my car. How about a banana? Car. 
Yeah. Yeah, I don't think anyone I wish people would take out like the banana peels from that Mike is really there. Um uh yeah, so I, I and I don't even think Chester has a car in the city. So what are you talking about, Chester? <laughs> yeah. I was once I was once in Oakland and there was a sign on the synagogue uh which was uh if you leave stuff in your car it will be stolen. Not it might be, it will be stolen. It will be stolen. Yes. Okay. Uh Chester says uh so Lafarge and payroll gets fired probably for his role in the project. And decided to move to Hollywood to become a practice pianist. But how did he lose his sight? He's just letting you know that he's really smart. And he remember, he recognizes that this guy is the blind dude from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Okay. And uh, classic Chester line. The busiest mail day of the year is actually December 15th. I feel like Chester called the post office to find out. Anyway. Well, he linked uh, to something here. What did he, what did he link to? Yeah, probably a picture of like him. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, he linked to a Google search of heaviest mail day of the year. Uh, anyway, don't most people who are giving their mom a card on Mother's Day do it in person? Not necessarily. Yeah, I mean, do you fly to Minnesota to give your mom a card, Chester? I actually believe that where Seinfeld and the writer's room got this crossed up, I believe the busiest day for the telephone is Mother's Day. Yeah. I, I, I'm, don't quote me on that. Uh, but I think that that is the busiest day because most people are calling their mom on that day. Um, on Mother's Day, not necessarily that is the biggest male day. Yeah, I know. I I think you're right. And people, some people said, "What about Valentine's Day?" But I think that makes sense. Uh, why December fifteenth? Um, I guess that there's probably so many Christmas cards going. Yeah. That's sort of like you know the the early ones are still coming out. The late ones are just starting to go out. I think that's yeah. probably uh, you know prime time. You know, maybe some Black Friday credit card. Do you bills have to send like I like I know for Mother's Day. Like, I, yeah, you have to give your mom a card, right? Um, yeah, or flowers. I mean, you don't or have flowers, to. Or flowers, right, yeah. right. Yes. I'm, but generally, like, like most people, not you personally, but like one's mom would get annoyed if you don't either give a card or flowers. Maybe some people get away with just a call. But traditionally, we give a card, maybe and or flowers. The, do you have to give a Christmas card to everybody? No, not necessarily. Yeah. Like if you're giving someone a present, you don't have to give them a card also, do you? Because uh, there's no Hanukkah cards, and maybe I'm back in on Hanukkah if if, if Christmas has cards. Yeah, don't have I, you don't have to give somebody a, a card. I mean, I think that people tend to like uh, you know you have you, you know everybody you know you send a Christmas card to. But if you're giving a gift and uh, and a card, I thought that's from sort of like more for the immediate family. It depends like how, how much of a Christmas nut you are. If you're like me and you hate everything, you know, um, you're trying to get away with as little as possible. Does your wife try and get you to do go do like the, you know, go to like Sears or something and take a picture or hire a photographer and then like oh, send it out to all Keith, your friends? Oh, uh, Keith, I have already uh, booked for a week from Sunday, I believe, to take a holiday picture. I would sooner get divorced than go to like Sears to take a holiday picture. Yeah, no, uh it's terrible. It's everything is. I, I have, you're lucky that we had a week off or I, I could have done uh, half an hour on the disaster. That was my birthday at my house. Oh, they celebrated your birthday. Well, that's, you know, part of the problem of that. We, we did not celebrate my birthday to my wife's liking. What does that mean? I, <laughs> I ruined my birthday her for liking? her. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, yes, all right. it was it was her worst my birthday ever. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, there's a lot of pressure for next year for, you know, you to, you know, bring it on your birthday. Right. And uh, yeah, not in Did any Did she get a present ways. on no. your birthday? Um, <laughs> well, no, not really. No. Um, 
but she gets to get me whatever she wants to get me and not what I want. But again, let's let's not go uh, too far off the beaten path here into yeah. Ohio. Uh, Keeve, according to Reddit yeah. on Today I Learned, they there is a thread. Today I Learned, while Mother's Day is the busiest day for phone calls, Father's Day is the busiest day for collect calls. Really? Yes. Who knew? They don't still even have collect calls. <laughs> I don't know. All right, Keeve, what is the hashtag today? Oh, I don't know. Did you write anything down? I know. Uh, believe it or not, I don't have anything off the top of my head. Oh, because I said I would write something down, but then I didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anything about the new short circuit? Anything about uh, the uh, JFK's golf club? Hmm. How about R.I.P. Sob? R.I.P. Sob. Okay. Very sad story. No more sobs. All right. Uh, well, actually, it should be a sob story. That's really a sob what, story. Yeah. There you go. A there sob go. story. S A A B. A sob S-T- story too. To, to compete with. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Keeve. We are rounding the band on season seven. Yeah, they're waving us in. Yes, second to last episode of the penultimate episode of season seven. Uh, Kramer wears really tight jeans. George accidentally breaks up a couple. Uh, good times had by all. Yes, Susan's still alive. <laughs> For a short while. Sure, for a short while. All right. So that'll do it for our final two-part episode until we reach uh, the uh, rarefied air of the end of season nine. So uh, excited to have reached this milestone with you, Wheels Wienicker. Uh You can follow Kiva on Twitter. He is at Kiva. 26. I'm at Rob Sestrian. What's coming up on the 32 fans podcast? You said it was one of oh, the best episodes ever. Yeah, people, a few people emailed already said they really liked it. Uh, Chester was really, uh, you know, we were both awake at the same time. So it was usually one of us is like half asleep. But this one was other than his wife yelling at him and his kids weren't asleep yet. It was it was pretty good. Uh, so I'd like to plug that. Also, uh, uh, Doughboys uh, got to plug a Hollywood handbook meets Doughboys. Uh, my favorite podcast of the whole year. Okay. Uh, and you were plugging it and not that you are on it. You just think that, oh, no. that is good. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You should listen to it. It's like, okay. get up on that. Get up on that. All right. Uh, thanks so much to Scott St. Pierre for editing a supersized episode of the podcast and Mike Moore uh, for the recap. We will be back uh, next week to talk about the wait out here on uh, one of the final post show recaps, Seinfeld recaps of season seven of Seinfeld. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. 